power on. Earth, 2018. The alliance between governments and tech giants has led to the rise of the surveillance society, distraction technology, the attention wars, and the erosion of your mind. But one show stands against this insidious system. Hosted by the podcast champion, the man of tomorrow, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He and his co-hosts form the intellectual resistance. It's time for Sovereign Tech. The Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Sasu, the rated our radio star. Here with you, but not alone. I don't know if you hear any laughter in the background or not. Uh, but, uh, well, everybody knew this was coming because I always get excited. Hell, I announce it weeks in advance when I know I'm going to be joined by literally, as in, like, write it down, and this is how some fans have written it down, the best. That being, and that's an acronym, B is for Brian, E is for Ellen, ST is for Stephanie. So it is the Brian, Ellen, and Stephanie show of Sovereign Tech. Woo! Woo! Yeah. I get two letters. Yeah, you, well, <laughs> yeah. of course, because, I mean, you're the best. <laughs> you are the best. person one. I'm half of the best, right? Y- yeah. yeah, but you like you're are... half, and we're, we're, I'm just a quarter, you're and Ellen's just, I'm just, just a quarter. quarter, and then you're the half. Or we're each a third. I don't know. There needs nah, to be some like nah, redistribution. And I'm okay with that. Like, <laughs> okay, I, I'm okay with that. too. Are you okay with that? I like my one letter. You like your yeah? I'm yeah. I'm good with one letter, I, and I'm good. I think you're totally deserving of two letters. Only vowel. Oh, that, that is very is interesting. Yeah, that's true. Vowels are rare. We're all just phonemes, you know. <laughs> 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 but we never phone one in. <laughs> no, we never phone one in. These, uh, yeah, I'll tell you, like, well, I, I share it with you. Usually, the the feedback I get for when we do these episodes, I mean, people just love it. It's not your average sovereign tech where I'm just yelling and screaming and talking about the various tech news and how all these tech giants are taking a shit on you. Although but, that uh, may happen too. Yeah. Yeah, that can, and that's that does okay. Happen. It'll be it part of it. Right. So, but we're going to have some fun in this one. And I promise we will get to the AMA in this, where we're the three hosts, we're going to do an Ask Me Anything of each other. And feel free also in the future, Sovereign Tech listeners, if you want to send in questions specifically for Stephanie or for Ellen, um, you know, I'll compile those and we can even do a listener question segment in the future. Um, but uh, I, I can, I'm pretty sure I can say that the average answer from them will be no. But <laughs> whatever questions I'm sure that come in. Just kidding. Okay. So <laughs> anyway, uh, wow. So, well, Stephanie, how the hell are you doing? 
I am enjoying the heck out of your birthday. Happy Ooh, birthday! It's Brian's birthday! <laughs> and we are here doing a podcast for you. And um, that's not the only thing we're doing this weekend. See, in our household, Brian, you know, you and I are together. We've been together for six years, six yeah. wonderful years. Congratulations. And, uh, thank thank you. you. And over that time, we've each had uh, se- several birthdays. And um, we like to stretch out the birthday festivities for like at least a whole weekend, maybe sometimes even a week. Sometimes it goes a week. Yeah. This is true. So it's like, it, yeah, it's like a Mexican Christmas or something. It's like, like it a just marathon. Keeps going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't like to limit the birthday stuff to just the actual birthday. Um, we like to stretch it out over at least the weekend um, and sometimes even more. And today was your birthday, so it kicked off the birthday celebration. But uh, there's a lot more fun to come. And this is just part of, of the fun Recording is doing this podcast. Uh, we also, you know, had a delicious pancake breakfast. Well, you guys had pancakes. I didn't have any pancakes. I was good, okay? Ellen is my pancake buddy. Yes, this is a special bond that Brian and I have formed. <laughs> That's right. That we eat pancakes together, and we both experience the sugar crashes afterwards together. And then we have to record this show. <laughs> yes. See, this is why I had fiddlehead ferns and eggs, folks, because high protein makes for a good podcast, and someone's got to... Do be in the driver's seat of this show if they have a carb coma during on the yeah. air. So. Let's not forget the kale. You had some tasty looking kale too. I did. I had a side. That was of, some good looking kale. kale. But I have to say. the pancakes. Uh, can we talk about those pancakes for a minute? Talk about I those mean, pancakes. Holy <laughs> this shit. is like yeah. it could be I in still lieu have of a birthday of them in cake. my refrigerator. Right now. <laughs> Brian got the fattest stack of pancakes. I mean, they oh, were just they were so, so big. Good. Ellen only well, got. That was Ellen's fault. Well, yeah, I was gonna. I was she like, was encouraging you. You get one, two, or three of these things. I had no idea. I never ordered pancakes. She was being a little pancake. Enabler. Okay, because normally like, Ellen yeah, and I will go I to was. Denny's. Yeah, you're being, <laughs> yes. you do okay. this often to me. But we, you were talking about the pancakes before the waitress came over, and you're yeah. like, I'll get the three three pancakes. Right. And then she shows up, and you're like, uh, two. And I'm like, what? You can't go back on that? <laughs> you're like, you said three. You're going to get three. And I'm like, <laughs> it's his birthday. I told the waitress. Yeah. So I it ended up getting out. three. And <laughs> they wow. were dirty monkey dirty monkey is what yeah. they're called stuffed with and i mean stuffed with bananas and chocolate and that now me like i have a banana every it's morning a very fitting uh, name isn't it yeah. You, yeah. you folks should all think about that for a minute the dirty monkey. why it's named the dirty monkey it's kind of fitting for me <laughs> <laughs> but wow we're we're were those pancakes fucking amazing i mean <laughs> mm-hmm. but they were massive i mean like they were they were just huge like they barely they barely fit on the plate uh that, that that came out and so like i still have i literally still have half of them in the refrigerator i could not finish it all and i've never even you know what? i i just realized i've never really redone this where i reheated a pancake especially when it's stuffed with chocolate i don't know how this is going to turn out oh, oh it it's must go- it's, it's going to be very soft yeah very soft i'm guessing well, it'll like be soft. gooey and it'll probably taste like cake mm-hmm. oh yeah and all the syrup is going to be so like melted into it that it's basically going to fuse <sighs> with everything else that's inside the pancake i don't feel bad about this no you should feel so good it's gonna gonna be delicious that is gonna be a pancreatic workout (laughs) (laughs) wow i'm gonna be singing some michael buble by the yeah yeah, anyway well i really enjoyed those fiddlehead ferns and kale i'm just saying Mm, (laughs) i really enjoyed my banana bread or was it zucchini bread bread. yeah oh yeah and it had uh, cranberries inside and a little bit of chocolate chips and it had like this ricotta cheese sugary dressing on top it was so tasty yeah it was gr- a pancake right mm-hmm. a zucchini bread pancake yeah 
And of course, Ellen just has one and then forces me to have three. And <laughs> <laughs> I really twisted your arm on that. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I, I t- strong. This woman is strong. <laughs> she just twisted. It's <laughs> not a small arm on my part. But anyway, no. <laughs> uh, but no, th- like I had a little bit of your pancake mm-hmm. uh, that you graciously offered. And wow, you're right. That was delicious. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. So anyway, nice, nice way to start off uh, my little birthday weekend, which might turn into a birthday week. Ellen, you're just going to have to stay here all week, I guess. Oh, darn. But no. <laughs> I mean, she has a job, right? Oh, yeah. Well, well uh, kind of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, shit, we have jobs, but we've been... <laughs> we, we just came out off of a stint of taking a lot of time off of work and doing a lot of really fun things. Yeah. Um, we had uh, we went to the Boston Women in Comedy Festival. Yep. And then um, MK Lords and I went to Chicago to do the Internet of Money five years later performance. Yep, which we talked I was about. On, lo- she was recently on the show. Yep. And if folks, you can listen to those episodes. She's been on the show because... MK was here visiting for a while and uh, we did a couple of podcasts with her. But um, the the point I wanted to make about that was that I was pleasantly surprised at how much time I was able to take off and do kind of fun things. And somehow my business is still running. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> People still wanted to, to hear your beautiful voice. Yeah, thank you. Imagine that. So um, I'm pretty pumped about that. And it was just, it was a great way to start off the springtime, you know, with some much needed um, relaxation and fun. So um, let's, let's keep it going. Yeah, Ryan. hey, I am all on for that. <laughs> you know, the purpose of life is to be happy. So, you know, let's do it. Right on. Um, whew, all right. Well, you know, speaking of springtime, things coming into bloom and whatever else, uh, maybe should we get into our first story here? I Absolutely. Sure. I'm ready. Okay. Um and uh, as far as everything else that I'm doing for my birthday, that is literally to be decided yet. So I tell people, but I don't know. <laughs> we have a lot of ideas, but yeah. uh, Brian wants to wing it. So Right. Yeah, yeah, the hike might be in order after all those pancakes. but we'll That see. might be the best thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Because the other option might be, you know, like... Continue eating more sugary food? Uh, yeah, and, and I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> you know, we're going to have to do um, a review of the gift that I got you, Brian, Oh, when when I get it. Yeah, when yes. we get it. So I got Brian um, some roller skates for his birthday. And they're not just any roller skates. They kind of, they're like strap-on roller skates. Right. They strap on over your favorite pair of shoes. You could turn any pair of shoes into roller skates? Totally. Apparently. Yeah. And they Whoa. are quad roller skates, but they're a different, it's like a diamond arrangement of the, of the four wheels. Mm-hmm. So instead of being a straight line or a square, it's actually a rhombus. Imagine that. Oh, like <laughs> the, the relationship. Yeah, exactly. There's one wheel in front, one wheel in back, and two wheels kind of on the sides. And um, yeah, people are raving about these skates. So I thought I would get Brian a pair because he loves skating and he's like actually a championship roller skater with the quad skates. Sure, I literally have medals. I have medals. I can't wait to see you skating around the neighborhood. (laughs) And I actually got myself a pair along with all the pads, like knee pads, helmet, elbow pads, ass pad even. I got got Brian. I got an ass pad for myself. I knew you wouldn't want an yeah, ass pad. no, I don't even want the helmet. I, <laughs> I, I mean, mean you I, I love it. And you may a, not need yeah. it. You're you're a great skater, but I felt that I needed the pads, and I was like, you know, I'm going to get Brian these skates. I want to get them too, so we can go skating together. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I ordered them, but they haven't come yet. So I had to tell him what I got him today without actually being able to present the gift, and I, it was too bad. But you know, he liked the idea, and I got him excited. Well, <laughs> Showed him the video. <laughs> just the presence of these amazing ladies is enough gift for me. I'll say that much. Aww, I mean, that, that's you. a fact. So Brian actually got us a birthday gift too even though it's his birthday somehow that i'm still trying to work out the math on that (laughs) um and what did we get uh uh, murphy to ellen go ahead 
<laughs> um, yeah, I, I need an emergency transpl- transport. I'm on the surface of a planet, and uh, the atmosphere, the ionosphere is getting a little bit thick, so could you send a shuttle for me? Uh, you don't want to be beamed up? All right, we'll send the shuttle. We'll also send some emergency supplies. Well, I don't know if the, the uh, transporter is going to work through this ionosphere, so, you know. Could All call. right, Murphy out. <laughs> <laughs> Brian got us Star Trek communicators. But and they're, they're uh, special. They're special because they are Section 31. Yeah, they we are, are the in Black, black Starfleet. <laughs> right, from Star Trek Discovery. And uh, I've been waiting for these to come out. I knew that they were going to be coming out. They were showing off at a, uh, what they call a Toy-Con. Um, and I, I mean, these are very nice. You know, they're full metal and everything. They're really, really, really beautiful. And they're held together ma- uh, magnetically onto you know whatever you want to put them on but uh yeah i thought that that was just kind of fun i saw them i mean and and you both seem to really love them and enjoy Mm. them Mm -hmm. yes yeah i'm really enjoying wearing it and pretending like we're actually part of section 31 oh yeah (laughs) it's super cool we're do we've done like 10 or 12 little skits already where we're like calling (laughs) each other on our communicators yeah By the way, so if you want to, like, part of my, my reasoning in this is um, we are doing Star Trek Erotic Audio Theater, which I hope to have completed uh, this summer, and that uh, I've been doing, for those that have signed up for the uh, Sovereign Tech newsletter, um, I've been doing short fiction, actually, that exists within this little fun Star Trek uh, side story that I've been doing, and um, you can read about characters in Section 31 throughout that whole thing, so that's kind of the... That's, sort of the inspiration for it all but anyway lots of fun so i've really been enjoying those stories (laughs) (laughs) well i got like a three-parter going right now and uh the the next well anyway the next one's gonna get really interesting didn't the uh the last issue of the sovereign tech newsletter just come out just came out like yesterday or the day before yeah yeah i still have to read that one yeah that had um yeah, that you know, an idea just hit me, Brian. Please, share uh, it with should the I world. say it on the air? Okay, this go is untested, if, folks. I don't know not, how he's going to react. I'll, I'll edit it. Okay, so, go for it. <laughs> so cut me off if you don't like this idea, or okay. if you want to keep it secret. But um, you know what we should do is you and I should do some readings, some audiobook readings of your short fiction, and put them out uh, for your patrons. Would you like to do that? Because I that think that'd is... be super fun. Wow. Wow. Well, the only, yeah. It, all right. So if it was audiobook style, and I, I would want it, you know, when Dr. Goldblossom or Lieutenant Talon is involved, I would love to have Ellen. Sure. Pony sure. Hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I like this idea. I, I like it. In fact, that's fucking brilliant. So, Thank okay. you. Thank you. <laughs> Especially I if, can't believe I didn't think of that before. Because like, you're writing all these it. stories and I do audiobooks. <laughs> right. I do this literally all day. Like, why didn't I think of this Yeah, already? I mean, <laughs> if I don't have to do sound effects and all that, like, no, it's yeah, actually just, just a audiobooks. lot easier. Exactly. Oh, that's brilliant. Okay, so you two are up for this? I'm up for, for sure. It. Yeah, yeah yes, absolutely. All right. All right. Yes, we will, we will do that. And then, how can I sell that on Audible? You could, yeah, you could, but you would have to publish like a Kindle book of well, all of the, the shorts. I can't do the Star Trek ones on Audible, but... Right, but I, you could take your other short stories and put make them into a Kindle book and yeah. then sell the audiobook. Yeah, oh. we'll talk strategy on that. I like this idea. Entrepreneurship in the raw. Oh, here, folks. yeah. I'll tell you, this is why... Spontaneous entrepreneurship. Look is... out, world. You're about to get a new shipment of really sexy Star Trek erotica. <laughs> yeah, the Star Trek would be just for your patrons. But there be the rest of it would be for consumption on Audible or for your patrons or both. This is why when I mention the name, 
Dr. Stephanie Murphy, I say the boss because, man, <laughs> there, there it is. There's all Legit the brilliance. boss. Folks, I'm an idiot. I mean, <laughs> I'm only surrounded by brilliance, okay? I've got the lobes for business. You I, I don't mind lo- saying yeah. it myself. Absolutely. You have the lobes for business. <laughs> well, that's, that's fantastic. So... All right. <laughs> okay, so I guess we're doing that, but let's what's what's the story? Let's let's talk get about into the story. the story. In fact, kind of fitting. This all plays off very nicely because, come to find out, now this story is from 2015, and in fact, the research that we're going to describe here uh, is from 10 years even before that. But come to find out, there is a tropical mushroom that if you if a woman specifically if a woman smells it, it induces an orgasm in the woman. I call bullshit. Well, let's (laughs) read. That's really hard to believe. (laughs) Yeah, really hard. Let's read just a, well, (laughs) let's just read a brief snippet of of all this. Uh, And this is actually coming from Boing Boing before somebody thinks that it's any kind of a joke or something. And it is, this is originally from 2015. Um, Someone on on Twitter like shared this and that's what put it on my radar now. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how I missed it earlier. Uh, But anyway, here here it is uh, from Boing Boing. A study from the International Journal of Medicinal Mushrooms reports that Sounds like a legit journal. <laughs> Medicinal <laughs> mushroom. Very academic. Yeah. <laughs> Are these teaching plants? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so so the, the International Journal of Medicinal Mushrooms reports that Dictiophora. Really? Dictiophora. Dick. Dictiophora. Is this real? This, <laughs> this sounds is 100% like a joke. real. Okay. How this is it spelled? Uh, D I C T Y O P H O R A. I mean, it could could be legit. <laughs> could be legit. Yeah, could be. I mean, I don't know. Let, let's hear the rest of it. Okay. I'm still curious. A mushroom, Dictiophora, a mushroom that grows on lava flows, induces spontaneous orgasms in about one third of the women who sniff it. Uh, according to a 2001 publication in the International Journal of Medicinal Mushrooms, the smell of the fresh fungus can trigger spontaneous orgasms in human females. In the trial involving 16 women, six had orgasms while smelling the fruit body, and the other 10 who received uh, smaller doses experienced physiological changes such as increased heart rate. All of the 20 men tested considered the smell disgusting. According to the... (laughs) Go go figure. Something that gives women orgasms, men find disgusting. What a shock. (laughs) Color me surprised. Wow, that's actually really interesting. Yeah, I wish they had done a larger sample size, though. Like, 20 people is not... Very many. No, no, you but... think people would be signing up in droves for this. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, I oh. would volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, let's be real. They're publishing their, their study in the Journal of International Medicinal Mus- Mushrooms. <laughs> so I doubt they had a lot of funding for this research. <laughs> well, well, actually, you might be surprised by that. But let me read just a little bit more. Now, did they do a control? Did they did they give them other mushrooms to sniff? And see if they had an orgasm? No, but let me let me read a little bit more here. Okay. So, according to the authors, the results suggest that the hormone-like compounds present in the volatile portion of the gliba uh, may have some similarity to human neurotransmitters released in females during sexual activity. The study used the species found in Hawaii, not the edible variety cultivated in China. So, okay. So, so, I have so many questions. Yes. Um, yes. So did some other people who went and tried to do some independent research on this. But okay. Go ahead. So, was this based on, like, a folklore or something? Or was this based on a an urban legend? Or, like, like how did they 
figure out that this mushroom causes spontaneous orgasms in right. women. Was somebody just like walking by a lava flow and suddenly had an orgasm and they're like, oh my gosh, what caused that? <laughs> Could it possibly be these mushrooms? Well, here's the funny thing is that this study was relatively quiet. Like it wasn't. And, and there's a guy, John Holiday or with two L's uh, before anybody thinks that's that's a joke. But uh, he's the guy that 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 engaged in, in finding this. And there's not a whole lot of information on what exactly he was doing, looking for the sort of thing. If it was some kind of story or whatever, maybe they're trying to mimic what they found in China. I, I mean, mean, I feel like he stumbled on the Holy Grail. Uh, essentially, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Men, so are you having you. problems getting your your girlfriend to have an orgasm? Try Just these new mushrooms. Let her sniff this mushroom. Dick Diophora. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, here, look, if this, all right, well, let me ask I this. I got a Dick Diophora. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is the question I'm sure everybody's wondering, okay? So, uh-huh. Pardon me asking it. But like if this existed, what would you do? Stephanie? Um, I mean, it sounds like it does exist. I guess I would. Well, like- if it were true, like if you could buy this, it came in a bag, whatever, and you could just open it up and woohoo, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would like to try it. Uh, I'm I'm curious, like how it like if you're just do if you're just like reading a book or something and you're not aroused or turned on or even thinking about sex and you sniff this mushroom and it makes you have an orgasm don't you think that might be a weird sensation like it's almost like when a guy goes to the doctor and the doctor's like all right we're gonna examine your prostate and the guy's like okay i'm just at the doctor like this doesn't he doesn't have a kink or a fetish for this but the doctor sticks his finger in the guy's butt to examine his prostate and some men will spontaneously ejaculate when their prostate is touched even if it's by a doctor and they don't expect it and he's like whoa all of a sudden like you know that feels really good and it made me shoot some fluid out yeah i agree (laughs) that'd be really uncomfortable yeah so i could imagine it being a little bit like intrusive but on the other hand if you were already turned on maybe like if you're already turned on it could just enhance your orgasm or something like that um i mean i think that's really interesting so it reminds me of something that i recently tried which was uh cannabis lube and um (laughs) as a review of this stuff it uh it enhances sex like if you have an orgasm it just makes it feel particularly good that's really the only way i can describe it i am not a cannabis user i've never really been into cannabis but i really liked this lube however um afterwards it was kind of like i felt the increased blood flow in my nether regions where i had put on the lube and it was kind of uncomfortable Mm. So it was like when I was turned on, it was feeling great. But then afterwards, it was like, okay, can we be done with this now? So so I, I'm just wondering about the mismatch between the psychological state of arousal and the experience of like an orgasm. Like I could imagine it feeling really uncomfortable if you're essentially having a forced orgasm that right. you're not feeling turned on. Right. It could be an invasive uh, or, you know, ki- almost even violating kind of sensation. Yeah, it's like taking Viagra to have sex yeah. and then like not being able to get rid of the erection like four hours later exactly yeah exactly well well yeah yeah so uh, (laughs) now and if that happens go to the emergency room or if you're seeing blue vision viagra is one is the only thing or the only drug that's known that causes uh blue vision so if you have that vision like what you start seeing everything in blue yeah like a friend apparently things start yeah appearing blue 
Wow. Okay. I mean, I've never experienced it, but yeah, that's that's a unique side effect of Viagra. Never heard of that. No, that's they don't mention that in the commercials. There's a name for it. Um, (laughs) If you start seeing blue, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) blue balls or blue vision. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Now, the four-hour erection is called. The Latin name is priapism or pria. Right. Yeah, because named after the god Priapus. Priapus. Yeah, Yeah. or priapism or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and if that happens, your dick is in danger of falling off. Of go, to the, go to the go to the emergency God. room. This is gonna hop off your body. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we anyway. Back to the whole uh, the mushroom orgasm. So, if this is really true, and this was published in 2015, why 2001. hasn't? 2001. Okay, yeah, so the, we've had 17 years for a, pro, a a female sexual enhancement with some evidence behind it, but yet no company has tried to bottle this shit and well, sell it. Uh, well, that's not... Into, yeah, so yeah, here's the thing. Yeah, where is it? Okay, okay. Well, here, Where's the commercially available stuff? All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to all of that. Okay. But first, Ellen, I mean, like, if this existed, what do you do? Oh, I mean, like, I, yes, I'd be curious to try it, but again, I like Stephanie said, I wouldn't want to just try it in any situation like it would have to be an enhancement sort of thing because um i I don't know i feel like an orgasm by itself would kind of just uh, it wouldn't be that great there's more to sexuality than an orgasm yeah exactly there's a lot more everything leading up to the orgasm that's the best part well said yes exactly yeah so so that's your take on that yeah if it existed okay all right sure Um, it would it would be a interesting experiment to run (laughs) So, okay, so here's to answer a lot of what I'm sure are the questions in your minds. Like, there's not a lot of data exactly on what, how this experiment was done, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like like the, the story around it and everything. There's just not much of it. And I think that both lends to discrediting it, but also potentially crediting it, crediting, crediting you know, giving it credibility is what I mean to say, uh, because... John Holiday, so Discovery Channel, after this was talked about in 2015, they went to go do their own research on the matter, uh, and they tried to find it. And this is part one that's really strange, is you can only find it on specific lava at a specific mountain in Hawaii. Like, it's it's a miracle to even find this thing, this mushroom. Oh, so it's ultra rare, and it doesn't really grow in cultivation. Yes, okay, super, super it. rare. Okay, so there's that. That already makes it, and that kind of makes you wonder, right? It's like trying to find an elephant bird or something. Okay, so you have that. But then when Discovery reached out to, and I'll tell you what happened, what Discovery Channel found out. But when Discovery reaches out to John Holiday about all this, he says, no, look, he says, I'm, I'm already dealing with companies and we're working with this. And I could believe that some company found this and, and that it's real mm-hmm. and that they're keeping it like really under wraps. For who knows what they're patenting it or something, patenting it, yeah, or trying to make a pharmaceutical drug or something like that. They're trying to uh, maybe discover a way to synthetically create right. these, yeah. these yes. hormones that the mushrooms make. Yeah, I, I mean, like a company like KY would go nuts for this sort of oh, thing. Oh yeah, right? I mean, you know, no doubt about it. Uh, and but I, I got to admit, like a part of me also feels a little weirded out. Like, what if this thing's real? I mean, like, I, I don't know if like I would almost pay for it not to be on the market. Not because I want women to have all the pleasure in the world, by all means, okay? But, I mean, what if you're just walking down the street and, like, the scent That's is just going thing. somewhere? You know, the, it reminds me of... Um, Orgasmo? 
No, not okay. orgasmo, although that's that could be another thing. But there is a disorder that's pretty rare, but some uh, women suffer from it, which is basically like, it's almost like getting the hiccups, but instead of having the hiccups, it's orgasms. And they're having these Whoa. these spontaneous orgasms in situations where they don't want to be having uh-huh. orgasms, like at right. the bank. Like I remember reading a, a, an account of a woman who had this, and she's describing like she had to go to the bank for something, and she's in the line like waiting to see the teller, and she's coming, and she doesn't want to be, and she was like super embarrassed and uncomfortable right. and trying to hide it, but like it's really hard to hide because like your face gets flushed and everything happens, and it's sure. like very difficult to suppress, and she couldn't suppress it because it was like involuntary, yeah, and so some people have this like I think it's called like spontaneous arousal an orgasm disorder or something like that. And uh, I don't remember the name of it because it is so rare, but some people get stuck and they can't help it and they don't want to be aroused, but there's really nothing that can stop it. Yeah, sure. So like I could, again, I could imagine how, like you said, Brian, if somebody like doses you with this against your consent, well, that's basically like, you know, same, almost same as like roofing someone, you know, maybe a little bit different, but Still, it's a non-consensual dosing of somebody with a drug that they didn't ask to be drugged with. Yeah. You know, it could be a very violating thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I would be genuinely concerned if this was something that was just like laying around like, I don't know, pick your mm. smells that, you know, some hippie shop. And I mean that with respect, you know, some hippie shop lays out or something. I mean, I don't I don't know. It, yeah. It just... Or if you're just out in public and somebody like waves it in front of your yeah, face right. or something like that. Now, it could also be like a kink thing. I mean, like, could you imagine? Oh, people could if... be into that, but right. they got to be into that. But they I have mean, to have very consented, of course. Consent. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if this could be compared maybe to uh, like the other hormonal perfumes and uh like deodorants and whatever that people can buy that have uh hormones that are supposed to like attract the opposite sex pheromones yes yeah i've i've seen those yeah yeah so as i understand largely those don't work (laughs) but (laughs) oh really yeah they often are very expensive and uh i mean i don't i don't know that they work but there hasn't the thing is like there hasn't been that much um, study done on human pheromones. And the thing is, like, different people are attracted to different combinations of pheromones. And so it's kind of hard to just, like, put something in a bottle. And then it, like, it's going to react with your own body chemistry differently, too. So, yeah. like, they know that basically, okay, here's what I know that science knows about pheromones. Um, something about the glands in your armpits, once you reach puberty and once you reach sexual maturity, your armpits start cranking out, the sweat glands in your armpits start cranking out some chemicals that are largely unknown that are called pheromones. And they're kind of like, you know, steroids or volatile chemicals that can be smelled. And the bacteria on your skin somehow modify those pheromones. And so they change the smell of whatever your body is producing. So it's an interaction between your own skin and the bacteria that live on your skin. Wow. So it's a symbiotic kind of relationship. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's why, you know, people's smell can be so different based on what they're eating and based on what they're um, like their hygiene and stuff, because the community of microbes that lives on your skin is different under different conditions. Um, And so somehow 
it is also related to your immune system because different um, there's a class of genes called the MHC genes. MHC genes determine innate immunity to different pathogens, mm-hmm. and people are supposedly attracted to others who have dissimilar MHC genes to themselves, right. especially women, because you know the the whole theory about evolutionary biology is that women are very extremely picky about mate choice, and so they want as much information as they can get about who's going to be a good um, sire for their offspring, right? And so (laughs) they're looking for a man who has different MHC genes than their own. And somehow, I don't know how, but somehow that information is conveyed through smell, through, through the use of pheromones. This is pretty recent science, by the way. I mean, like, they've only been talking about this for the past few years, how much it has to do with attraction. Well, there was a there was a seminal study, if you will, <laughs> that was done in the early 2000s where um, researchers took a bunch of different men and they had the men like sleep in a T-shirt. About, they're all the same. No, for, <laughs> no they're not. <laughs> they had different men sleep in a T-shirt, the same T-shirt for three days so that the man's smell would get into the T-shirt. And then they put the T-shirts in a sealed plastic bag, and then they had women sniff the T-shirts and then rate the attractiveness of the man based oh, on based horrible. only on the smell of the T-shirt. And you know, women, this is a thing, right? Like a lot of women will say that that they ha- if they're going to get with a guy, they have to like the way he smells, and they'll say things. They'll say like, "Oh, this guy." I couldn't resist his his scent, you know? And I believe that. It's true. Like, sometimes you sniff somebody and you're like, wow, that's a good smelling person. For sure. <laughs> I've had that experience where I was attracted to the smell of somebody, you know, and <laughs> I like Brian's smell. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, just sigh of relief, folks. I'm like, oh, well, thank you. <sighs> uh, yeah, so... Um, so the women rated the attractiveness of the men based on the T-shirts. And it wasn't like all the the women. First of all, there were a couple of findings. Um, the women didn't all choose the same men as being the most attractive. Different uh-huh. women were attracted to different scents. And then they compared the MHC genes. I don't know how they found to look at this, but they compared the MHC genes of the women and the men that they rated as attractive. And they found that the women rated the men with the most different MHC genes as as most as being the most attractive. And then later, I think it was the same team, found that birth controls, hormonal birth control, Changes. Um, altered women's yeah. preferences for what kinds of men they found attractive, both in terms of the smell and in terms of the looks. Right. So, and then women were attracted to different types of men at different points in their cycle. Like when they're ovulating, they're attracted to different scents than they might be normally. So it's it's all very interesting. But somehow this information about genetics and specifically the genetic status of one's immune system is transmitted at a at basically at an unconscious level through the sense of smell. That's amazing. Yes. Especially since uh like when you smell somebody, you can't you can't really like say Oh, there's like hints of chocolate and maybe some vanilla and lavender. (laughs) I mean, if I could find a man who smelled like chocolate, that'd be great. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe I'd be more heterosexual (laughs) if that was the case. Well, I'm just saying you can't like, you know, you can't describe the smell. You can't like stratify it and say like... Uh, this yeah. smells kind of like you know it's in just fact, like a lot of people have, one whole package. Yeah, exactly. I, a lot of people even have trouble picking out like if you if you show somebody like 
even like something very identifiable like orange oil or lavender oil, sometimes they'll have trouble pinpointing and saying, oh, yeah, that's an orange Mm -hmm. or that's like an apple or something like that, you know. So, yeah, I I think a lot of humans aren't very attuned to their sense of smell, but we are aware of smells and we can smell like building, you know, buildings have smells, people have smells. But I think a lot of it does go on on an unconscious level. And we're definitely we definitely seem to be less conscious uh, of pheromones than we do of more overt smells like foods and things like that and smoke and whatever. Yeah. I mean, they're still important to our functioning in some way and they tickle our neurons, but now have you ever, have you ever smelled the smell of elderly people? Yes. yes. Old people have a smell. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that is because they've, they put off um, some like chemicals called like aldehydes. They put off a lot of aldehydes. Um, and I don't know what, why exactly that is, but I guess as we all get older, our skin puts off more of those type of chemicals. Hmm. Interesting. Mosquitoes, okay. apparently they, they find us by uh, sensing CO2 that we exhale. Um, so if you if you want to avoid mosquitoes, you know, basically keep moving and keep walking so you're not breathing out a cloud of CO2 that they can then sense you by. But mosquitoes also can smell squalene in our skin. Squalene. Squalene is a precursor to cholesterol. It's a building oh. block of cholesterol, which is found in our skin. And um, people with more squalene in their skin uh, attract more mosquitoes. Is that true for all flies, too? Because... I have a feeling I have a lot of squalene because <laughs> flies love you. Yes, squalene all over the place. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know about other types of insects, but I know there have been a lot of studies done about mosquitoes. And it's funny because like, have you ever had the experience where, you know, maybe it's you or maybe it's another one of your friends. But if you're sitting in a group of people, one person's like, oh, I got bit by a bunch of mosquitoes right, and they're right. smacking yeah. themselves all over. And you're like, really? I don't, fi- I'm not having any mosquitoes bite me. Well, it's because the, sometimes they do go for the person in the group that is like the sweetest meat. You know, mm-hmm. they, yeah. they're all attracted. because I was Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently like um, eating a lot of garlic will kind of leach out into your skin and will repel insects. It'll mm. repel everyone else. It'll repel too. everyone yeah, it'll else. Repel yeah. everything. Vampires, human <laughs> human beings, you know, other people. <laughs> um, also B vitamins, I guess some people take big doses of I don't know if it's vitamin B twelve or another one of the B vitamins, but some people claim that that is like a natural insect repellent. Hmm. So I I'm a big fan of like, you know, when you want to do something to change your skin, whether you want your skin to be more youthful or more elastic or smoother or whatever, I really think all those changes start on the inside. So rather than slathering cream on my face or serum or anything like that, I would start with better nutrition yeah, and hydration. Sure. And I think maybe it's kind of the same for, for repelling bugs. You know, maybe yeah. we have to start by eating more garlic instead of spraying more DEET on our skin. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I've been experimenting with hippie bug spray, which is basically just kind of essential oils from plants. And um, I have to say, a lot of them work really well. Okay. And they don't smell too bad. <laughs> which ones work the best? So uh, there's one called Herbal Armor, which I really liked. And then there's another one, which I can't remember the name of, but it's got like it's got peppermint, uh, citronella, clove, and some other oils. And it doesn't smell too bad, and it does seem to keep away the bugs. Wow. And I don't feel bad spraying it on my skin because I know it's not like, you know, this horrible deet. <laughs> yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Stephanie Murphy. 
Thank you, thank you. I'll take my applause. <laughs> Smell my pheromones through the radio. That's right. Worship me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm glad you broke Not up. Not even Seriously. joking. I'm, yeah, no, I worship you. <laughs> I don't know who wouldn't. <laughs> um, no, I mean, this topic is really interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I think it's, especially when you get into, you know, MHC and all that. I mean, mm. I think that there's, that's a very, un, it's getting explored, but it's largely unexplored when it comes to, well, especially human attraction mm-hmm. things like that oh uh, the, you know the other thing about this whole pheromone topic is sure ladies or people who menstruate have you ever noticed that when you live with somebody else and everybody you know more people who live have periods live together like in a college dorm or a roommate situation um people start to sync up with their cycles well um so there was a study done in i think it was like the 1980s where they took like they had women like tape these absorbent pads to their armpits mm-hmm. and then they like gave them to other women to sniff and the and the other women would get like on the same cycle as the person who's armpits they sniffed um so it's the armpit pheromones it's the arm yeah that's what they were saying it's the armpit pheromones now that study was later tried to be reproduced and it wasn't reproducible and so some people discredited it and said oh this isn't even a thing women don't really sync up it's just that you know somebody's gonna have their period 25 percent of the time and there's lots of overlap right because it's one week out of the month basically you know well i guess so i mean like if your cycle's that erratic maybe but yeah. Um, I've I've heard that my entire life and I've seen evidence for it. Has it ever happened to you? Because it did happen to me. Like, I didn't believe in this until I went to visit a woman and I got my period like more than a week early, which is almost never happens to me. And and it was on the same cycle. It was I was getting pulled onto her cycle. And Why then, wasn't she pulled onto your cycle? Well, that's the thing. I don't know who's the alpha female, right? I thought I was the alpha female. You are the alpha female. I know. I am the alpha female. And then I I visited another woman and I pulled her onto my cycle. Oh, so clearly I was the alpha there. I mean, uh. I should have been the alpha in the first case, but. But yeah, I mean, I didn't believe in this thing either until I saw that that happens because normally I'm like clockwork. You know, there's nothing mm-hmm. that can interrupt that 28 day. It's very consistent. But, uh, you know, just bringing bring another woman into the mix, um, you know, disrupted it. It's like the three body problem. What's the three body? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like where you have two bodies orbiting each other. It's somewhat predictable, but then you add a third oh. body and then it becomes erratic. Yeah. And there's no telling how it's going to end up. <laughs> Great book, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if any, if anyone out there hasn't read that, but even though they're not exactly related, mm-hmm. uh, regardless. Uh, yeah. So the, yeah, there you go. The three body problem. I like that. Boy, we could have a whole conversation around that one too. Right. Well, speaking of not reproducible, um, a woman named Christy Wilcox from Discovery in 2016, a year after this was more widely reported that this was even a thing, that dicto, dictiophoria, or fora, is not foria, fora, is, is actually a mushroom that causes this. She went to go find this damned mushroom because when she found out about it, she was interested. She's like, how have I not heard about this? I want right? this in my life. Yeah. So she goes to go find it. Um, and again, it was, so she, she finds it apparently and she also is the one that interviewed uh, um, John Holiday about everything. And he was very he wasn't very compliant, uh, apparently, with with all that he was going to, do, um, you know, with with all of his research and what mm-hmm. was going on with it. Um, but she goes, she finds it. She smells it. Nothing happens like she didn't orgasm. There were there was there was nothing to it. And she, it. Yeah. She tried all different kinds of things. And it didn't happen. Now, granted, it was pretty much only her 
Mm-hmm. Like that was an N of one, right? Yeah, I mean, and yeah. not everybody who was in the initial experiment could orgasm just from sniffing the mushroom. Exactly, it was only one third of the women that could. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I wonder, like, yeah, like how much of that is psychological, right? Like, did they tell these women like this mushroom makes some people orgasm when they sniff it? Like that to me would seem to significantly raise the threshold. And what that number of one third. One third is approximately the placebo rate, the the rate of placebo response uh-huh. in um in very psychologically based things like erectile dysfunction drugs, de- depression drugs, all all drugs for like psychological things. The placebo response rate is about thirty percent. Sure, and so but- I wonder if you told a woman we have a magical mushroom that will make you come if you sniff the mushroom. And then you give her like any old mushroom. Will she be like, oh, oh, something's happening to me, but it's just a placebo. I mean, how hard would it be to have an orgasm just by sniffing something, though? Like just by sitting there and thinking about like, all right, I'm going to have an orgasm right now and try really hard. But like nothing's happening. Right. Like, could you talk yourself into that? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, there I mean, are I've some heard women, women say that yes, they can like There are just some from women mental... who can think off, which is some right. of them. But yeah. I don't think a third of women can yeah, do that. Yeah, I think it's very rare. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, anyway, like the debunking of it is as specious as the supposed proof, I think. Um and, and I put links in the show notes this will be episode 277 of Sovereign Tech. Woo. Uh where where people can read more if they want to about it, um, but yeah, I, I don't you know I don't know where where to stand on this, but I mean I could I could believe that this guy found this sort of thing mm-hmm. and that a company was keeping it under wraps or looking how to or you know doing oh, of decades course. of research to patriarchy has been controlling <laughs> women's sexuality for centuries or trying to anyway, sure. so of course you know some pharmaceutical company would buy this put a put a bunch of patents on it, um, lock it up in research or, you know, it's a dead project. You know, they're not even actively doing any R&D on it. And if they ever develop a product, it's going to be some medicalized thing where you'll have to get a doctor's prescription. And guess what? That doctor is likely a man, you know, (laughs) and the people who approve it in the FDA are all men, too. And uh, yeah, it's just all under patriarchal control. At the same time, like you do have what is it? Deep neural stimulation where where they put like the electrodes, like literally they, they put them into your brain. Um, that's been deep brain stimulation. D- maybe it's deep brain stimulation. Mm-hmm. I forget the exact term. I suppose I could look it up, but anyway, I mean, one of the first things that they did with that was find out how to make oh, like, cause a woman was one of the first test subjects for this. And they, they figured out how to like, you know, pretty much a make her hypersexual B, you know, cause her to orgasm. Um, I mean, really? it was, I haven't heard about that. Yeah. Uh, Yikes. So, that's kind of scary. Oh yeah, my gosh. Is that like the, the main topic of discussion at these scientific meetings? Like, all right, we're, we've discovered this new method of stimulating people's brains. Uh, how are we going to make women orgasm more? How are we going to yeah. make them more <laughs> sexually gonna... attracted to us? Have a yeah, button right. that we can press to make women into sex slaves. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, deep brain stimulation is terrifying. I covered this, I think, years ago oh, on yeah. Sovereign Tech because like, it's it potentially is terrifying. I had a know? neuroscience professor who told us that in the bad old days, and that was his quote, there was this cat that they used to bring into neuroscience class uh-huh. and the cat would be walking around, you know, look acting like a normal cat, you know, just kind of curiously exploring the people and stuff and it would let people touch it. And then he had an electrode where he would they would 
press a button. And apparently the cat had a deep brain stimulator in its amygdala. And as soon as that button was pressed, the cat would be yowling, hissing, growling, yeah. arching its back, like really Aww. mean. And yeah, right. That's and that's so why. Sad. Isn't that mean? Yeah. yeah. And so the cat was like a slave to its amygdala. And whenever anybody pressed this button, it would exhibit this behavior. And that's all I can think about when I hear that thing about like a woman, you know, yeah. <laughs> like I hope she's in control of the button and nobody else, you know, because right. <laughs> she's the because if not, that's uh that's extremely rapey yeah yeah i mean and, and of course the first experiment of that type was with the bull and i think that was like in the 60s and they used radio you know and then they were able to control the bull to some degree not like really control it right you know, but but just to to a degree they could alter its uh alter its mood shall it's, we say so could Behavior, they alter yeah. its balance as well to like make it no, Lock I don't think they could affect it in that okay. way. Um, but they could agitate it and, and do other things um, that were that were interesting. But yeah. anyway, I, I haven't I haven't you know thought about that in a long time about mm. that research. But uh, so one thing that I wonder about this experiment with the mushrooms, like I wonder if it was well documented at all. Like, were, are there pictures of this mushroom? Are there right. like lab notes? Did they package up the mushroom and like send it off to a lab for analysis? Uh, did they like allow any sort of recording of what happened? Like, especially this woman who did the independent study, like if she was doing it on her own and was trying to figure out the truth, I would imagine tell if she got the right mushroom. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's again, that's part of the problem is that there is very little information about this, where Mm. it was found and all that. And she was on a bit of a wild goose chase herself trying to find it. Of course she took pictures and everything, but even when she reached out to the, you know, scientists behind the paper, the researchers, they wouldn't help her at all. Like they, they would literally say, well, that's what I'll tell you. Good luck. You know, I'll tell you that much. And oh so, my gosh. yeah, wow. I mean, it, it sounds it, like they sold their soul to yeah, the company. Totally. They're that, under some kind of non-disclosure. Exactly. Thing. See, that's the thing. Everybody's pretty much treating the discovery channel research on it as being, oh no, this doesn't exist. But I think that the lack of information actually points far more at that. It does, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes that's how it works. So, but you know that's not very academic of of those researchers. You know they no, they no. like in academia the spirit is sharing. You know you want information to be open source, right? Yeah. You want uh you want to share your materials, your methods. You want to do everything you can so that other people are able to reproduce your results because that means it's true and I, learn from your experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think especially with this generation, that attitude in science. Not that it wasn't there before. One could easily think of. Professor Marston, I mean, he, he, you know, he, he had to go create Wonder Woman to, to be able to make money because he didn't do the patent on his, uh, you know, uh, lie detector uh, machine. But, you know, because he felt that way, that like science should be available to everybody, you know, everything should be open source, I don't need to patent things. Um, But I don't think that's a popular sentiment until very, very recently, that people are thinking, oh, no, let's open source all this stuff, you know, let's open it all up. Uh, And that is a that's coming from a lot of different avenues, not just science itself, even though one could argue everything is science. Yeah, well, I mean, at least among other scientists, like it, that used to be the that I think that was the academic tradition for a long time, because mm-hmm. even people who aren't necessarily into open source software or publishing, they will totally share a lot of them will totally share reagents with other scientists and share sure. materials and stuff like that, especially if they get co-authorship out of it of a paper or something like that, you mm-hmm. know. So like a lot of scientists I've worked with were very open in spirit in that way, 
Well, know. it's good. I'm glad to hear but that. But not not every scientist, though. I mean, there are some scientists. I remember a situation in when I was working on my PhD where there was a there was a reagent, a a chemical that was needed that was valuable for research. That a it had to be custom made. It wasn't available to purchase. And there was this one lab in the world who knew how to make it, and they wouldn't share the materials to make it or mm-hmm. the protocol for making it. And so the lab that I was working for had to basically, uh, <laughs> they had to try to cajole it. Like they had to try to get get these materials somehow, reverse engineer their process, figure out how they made this stuff. It was a real pain in the ass. And if they had just shared, you know, we could have used it. But <laughs> yeah. instead, they spent kind of years like spinning their wheels and trying to get this reagent so well yeah that's really frustrating that uh, because when you don't share information like that you're preventing all sorts of discovery yeah yeah exactly right it's like think of the broader picture not just your own lab's fame or whatever right or the money or the money yeah 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 but i can see the incentives for for that too because like academia doesn't really pay very much you know of course you want to discover something and sell it to a pharma company and you know not open source it i guess if it's going to fund your research and make you money yeah if you're just a mushroom geek like you have to make a living somehow (laughs) how are you gonna (laughs) how are you gonna make a living if you don't commercialize something right so I, i see the challenges well speaking of open source and making money or open source that is money how about you check out, let's do a little break here. How about you check out a Sovereign Tech sponsor, that being Zencash. This is a completely open source project. In fact, it's been able to take advantage of the incredible open source nature of a lot of cryptographic breakthroughs, that being particularly zero-knowledge proofs or ZK-SNARKs, as they're known, that Zcash popularized. Uh, Zencash was able to take advantage of that and now create a whole other platform, a whole other... Well, I mean, a whole other dynamic when it comes to blockchain technology and all that you want to check out because, and I'll tell you right now, it's at a, <laughs> in my opinion, if you want to get your hands on some Zen cash, because it is an entire cryptocurrency on its own, uh, I think it's on sale right now. You want to jump on this. So zencash.com, that is the website. If you want to find out about it, of course, I mean, it's an entire platform. They're just doing amazing things at Zencash. Uh, in fact, they even have Zen hide. Uh, which is an interesting project that they're working on that might solve problems recently that Amazon and Google have been engaging in where they're stopping uh, domain fronting and other stuff. I mean, this is just the, these are people doing it right. They've got, we talked about attitude in science and all that. I mean, this is the right attitude for people to have at Zencash. So check out Zencash, go to Zencash.com, find out all about it. If you want to get engaged in cryptocurrencies, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, not investment advice or anything like that. In my opinion, this is a great place to start. So go hit it up, Zencash.com, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech, allowing for all this great content and allowing for me to hang out with these two wonderful ladies, of course, being joined by Ellen and the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, the boss, who uh, just really took <laughs> us all to school. I love it when you call me the boss in the uh, alpha. Yeah. You're like Sasha Banks. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Ellen knows the deal. I love yeah. Sasha Banks. Yeah, She's she great. does. That, that's kind of what started it. <laughs> that, right on. All right. <laughs> so, um, well, let's change things up a bit. We'll stop talking about orgasmic mushrooms. And you know, you know what else is kind of, just real quick, that was like a little annoying about that. I'm like, really the thing that's in nature that's shaped like a penis causes orgasms it's like what right you know <laughs> well but, have we seen pictures of it some mushrooms are just spherical that's yeah, true well she Could did be or puff. shelf mushrooms the the woman from discovery christy wilcox did take pictures of what she thought it was mm-hmm. and it did 
kind of look like one. Oh, so. okay. Yeah. Is, Your conventional. And it was always uh, also called like dick euphoria or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Dick euphoria, <laughs> dick, yeah, dick euphoria. Like whoever the hell. I mean, I, I imagine it there's some like god of sounds like a well done satire, name. doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so is like naming, uh, what was the condition that you get from, uh, from Viagra? Oh, Priapism? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like hilarious too. Because if you know the story of the god Priapus, I mean, it's really, well, anyway, it, <laughs> you, you can't miss him when you see him in any kind of fresco or any kind of artistry. Because, yeah, because like, he has a giant, he has a giant erection. dong. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but apparently in those days, like a small flaccid penis was considered beautiful and a large erect penis was not considered sexy. It was considered like oh, that person is controlled by their base instincts and they're not highly evolved. It was like a sign of being dumb and uh, impulsive. Shit. Well, okay. <laughs> well. They were and that was, reflected, that was reflected in the image of the god Priapus because Priapus right. was constantly doing stupid shit. <laughs> well, <laughs> well. Just quick for the record, and all the all the nerds listening in, in the Sovereign Tech audience, uh, Priapus is also my favorite Marvel Comics character, but that's another that's a whole other ball game. Uh, anyway. I'm guessing not the same Priapus. No, well, it's supposed to be, but then at the same time, I mean, this is all right. All right, real quick. So this is crazy. You have this this villain named Priapus who appears in the issues of uh, Luke Cage, Silver Sable, and this other comic called Terror Inc. This won't take long. Uh, but I was my mind was blown that in the mid '90s they were actually showing in Marvel Comics. Which who do you usually think the audience is for Marvel Comics? Teenage boys, kids, teenage boys, whatever. Yeah. They're Sounds showing right. like you have this villain that pretty much he whoever he touches, including the dudes, they orgasm. Kind of Whoa. like this mushroom, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and I was always like, "Wow, that's amazing!" Like and he's he put, evil. What? Well, right, I know, right? And, and oh, it, believe me, read the comic series. It was in Luke Cage mainly, but it was like across three. You know, listeners, check this out. Like, it, it, it's the craziest story because it even ends like with this snake character kind of saving the day. That's like the god of not. I mean, I don't know, like the god of lust or something. It was really, really wild. I read that and my teenage brain went places mm -hmm. so anyway uh all right i'm, I'm gonna stop that now and we're, we're we're done talking about that but uh you know talking about ancient history um i was so something that i've brought up many times on the show and that stephanie has cajoled out of me uh, a few times because uh you know i'm a little a little reticent to talk about certain subjects or at least you know have it you know, on on public record as it were that i uh may think certain ways but usually i really don't care you know i'm willing to, to say whatever um but something that i've talked about a lot is the potential that thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years ago of course our best recorded history we have goes back about 1200 years or i'm sorry 12,000 12, years uh that would be like gobekli tepe in turkey and things like this um but that thousands of years before that perhaps there was in advance, not aliens, boy, before anybody says that shit, I get so tired of that. Um, but advanced humans, perhaps like that. There was another industrial human civilization at some point, thousands and thousands of years ago. I am open to this. I think there's some evidence for this. Uh, well, come to, you know, in normally I'd be reticent to even like really talk about it. Right. Because it sounds like you're automatically going to crazy town when you, when you suggest that sort of thing, aliens are not, but why does it sound crazy? Because, because of the show Ancient Aliens? I mean... I think they've ruined the idea that there could have been advanced civilizations in the past because they 
They associated with aliens. They associated with aliens. Well, that's a fair critique. I mean, and it is true that there are lots of people out there who talk about what happened before that wall of history. Mm -hmm. And then they immediately go to, it must have been extraterrestrials, and here's the so-called evidence, which is kind of flimsy usually. Yes. (laughs) But it's like they can't imagine any other way that there could have been to explain these things other than aliens. But there are other ways. Like, yeah, I mean... I just I guess I just don't see what's so what's so crazy about saying there might have been human civilizations that are too old to have any evidence left of them well, that happened before 12,000 years ago. Okay. Well, there's two there's two attitudes in academia that have yet to completely go away that I think lend to it being considered crazy. And people appeal to authority and they listen to academia and academia says, no, the first civilization was Sumer and you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to it live does, with that. It does say that. We all okay. get taught that in school. Right. For sure. Right. So what the, the two attitudes, the, the first attitude is Christianity, which we've been dealing with that in archaeology for thousands of years oh it's affected for a couple thousand years right very much where yeah. if it doesn't fit in with a christian just a moral narrative not even the story of genesis or something yeah they will cover it up yep. they'll lock it away in some secret room in a fucking italian museum or they'll put plaster of paris over a fresco that shows people having sex you know that way you don't think that the romans were as um uh fun perhaps as they actually were so you know i mean that's one thing that we've had to deal with okay and 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 also the genesis narrative that like you know, there's still there were a lot of people. I mean, it wasn't until recently in archaeology that anybody was willing even to accept, you know, the theory of evolution. And we were still running off of like, you know, James Usher's work or whatever, where, you know, oh, no, the Earth is only 6000 years old. Right. You know, young Earth creationists. Sure. That. So you have that. That's that's the first thing. And a lot of classic texts that are still taught today and used today for archaeology are still playing off of that abstract attitude whether or not they actually believe that or not that's like baked into what's being told and what's being shared and and researched okay um the other issue that you have there are the other the other popular sentiment that you have is the you you run into this situation where scientists not necessarily archaeologists but where scientists start to say that cataclysmic events didn't happen like that we're not, they're not on board. Everything really, all of this stuff. I mean, it's almost the opposite problem, but where there is a, there's like the idea of the flood, right? Mm-hmm. Noah's flood. Yeah. So as to where the archaeologists a hundred years ago would have said, no, Noah's flood was the thing. This actually happened a hundred years ago. Scientists would say, no, no, no. Cataclysmic shit like that doesn't occur. Okay. I mean, like you think of the, the, the first accepted cataclysmic uh, uh, theory, popular theory, which is the Alvarez hypothesis, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that that a, you a know, meteor a struck meteor. the Earth, caused immense climate change, and wiped out dinosaurs. That's from the sixties. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, like, like that's very new. Mm. Okay, like these, the, a lot of uh, yeah, people didn't believe that meteors hit the Earth. Right before that, right? Yeah, really? Well, well that, that that's a whole other thing. Yeah, see, this is this is really interesting. In fact. Um, uh, I learned about this in a book you recommended to me, Ellen, which was, oh. I think it was in James Gleek's Chaos, okay. where he talks about, I think that was the book, maybe I'm confusing books because I listen to so many, but but he explains how um, uh, Shoemaker 
you know, Joe Shoemaker, the original guy, like the idea that me that meteorites, that asteroids would actually come down to earth, be, you know, be meteorites, blah, 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 you know, and that would, would cause this problem wasn't proven until the sixties with his work that he did in Arizona. That's just interesting because, uh, anybody could do the equations and figure out that the earth is a body that emits a gravitational field, just like every other massive object. And right. of course it's not immune to to asteroids it's just that like our timeline is so small that we haven't witnessed it right and so a lot of people would theorize this before then before shoemaker did his you know landmark work but it wasn't popularized and accepted until shoemaker did all i mean and that's why you know like that that big the asteroids that was that they hit jupiter or whatever or the meat you know that they named him shoemaker levy right after him because of his groundbreaking research okay you know in this field but like that blew my mind that what like the idea that that meteors hit the earth was wasn't accepted science until the fucking 1960s that's crazy yeah so we have we have a lot of archaeological and scientific history that comes from areas that or comes from positions abstract positions that may not lend itself to the truth and that could that would stand in the way of the idea that okay if there was some kind of advanced civilization where's the evidence because the idea would be that no you cataclysmic events don't occur you, you know, it's a gradual disappearance and we should see some of that gradularity or that's not even a word, but you get my point. Mm-hmm. We should yeah. see some of these gradual, gradual disappearances. I would argue that some of those do exist, but regardless, um, that should be there. But if it was cataclysmic, which now you have like the total super volcano, now people accept that those kinds of things happen like that happened 70,000 years ago that, you know, theoretically wiped down or possibly wiped human humanity down to what, 1500 to 10,000 people. Um, so, you know, it, we're only now starting to like grasp these ideas. And the other thing too, uh, and this is something that a guy who does believe in like aliens, which I don't, you know, or like the aliens have come to earth, which I don't, uh, Eric von Daniken, you know, I think he raises an, and he wrote one of the most popular books on kind of the ancient alien idea, which is chariot of the gods. I mean, he raises the point that he says, we need to look and other archaeologists agree with him on this, at least this point, we need to be looking at a lot of ancient texts with new eyes, with our modern eyes. Like we're translating them based upon, you know, medieval life. Right. As to where now, if we look at understanding what we know now, well, maybe those are very different interpretations mm-hmm. of, of what's actually being written down and what's being said in these texts. So that that's, that's a pretty important thing. So, you know, that's why I think these ideas are seen as crazy still to this day. And people just don't want to. And also the other part is that a lot of people are just lazy in their heads and they don't want to think about it. They don't yeah. want to question the narrative. And that's, <laughs> that's why Brian will talk about any sexual uh, perversion that he has openly discuss our sex life on the air and oh, you, uh, hey, call himself hey, hey, a Satanist on the radio and not explain what he means by that. Call himself a hedonist <laughs> and an egoist and not explain what he means by those, but won't talk about ancient history because people <laughs> might think that he believes in aliens. But the frustrating thing is that, like, uh, these the idea that, like, the earth was created by God or that, like, there's no possible way that any of the biblical events could have happened. Like, coming at science from those perspectives, or even, like, any of the things that you were talking about, like, you know, hearing the word Satanist evokes, like, just a gut reaction from most people, like, oh my god, what is that? (laughs) And and why do we have that response? It's just because it's, like, part of the culture, part of what we grew up with. Like, it's kind of ubiquitous. Like, certain ideas just shouldn't be probed into farther. Oh, yeah. I mean, if somebody who wouldn't know a single verse in the Bible could hear that you're a Satanist and they instantly think evil. 
You right. Know? I mean, that's how that's how yeah. permeated it is. Sure. Exactly. So that's that's like the frustrating thing is that uh, there are a lot of ideas out there that might be good or there might be like evidence for some ancient civilization but like how do we determine what the actual evidence is or like what the reasoning for believing that is if there's like all these conflicting beliefs that we don't even like can't pinpoint it's just like part of our world view sure yeah yeah so i think it really requires stepping outside of uh or, or like just examining um the biases that are inherent in our culture like you know christian religious perspective it just you have to examine those with a really critical eye and realize what when they when those narratives are causing biases for a lot of people. And in order to do that, you have to get a variety of different perspectives, which are sometimes hard to find because the dominant perspective is the dominant perspective. Yeah. So I want to give some credit and I'm going to read a little bit of the story here from a paper that came out in April or a paper and a talk that, that was done in April of this year, 2018, um, that said, hey, wait a minute. In fact, here's the headline from uh, fizz.org. We think we're the first advanced earthlings, but how do we really know? Earthlings. Yeah, earthlings. (laughs) Well, because they they have some fun with that. Maybe that it was actually dinosaurs that were advanced uh, millions of years ago, and we wouldn't have known about that. Ooh, it's like that Star Trek episode. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't this where the lizard people thing comes from? It's part of where it could come from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have, I think, Tronodon is is the the supposed dinosaur species that could have become bipedal would have been about like three feet tall or something like that and could have been incredibly advanced um but yes there is an episode of voyager that actually Mm -hmm. we watch uh recently all three of us where you had the voth which you found out were in the delta quadrant and you find out that they're like this dinosaur species and when they encounter the voyager which is from the alpha quadrant you find out they're like wait a minute we have we have very similar dna what's the deal here you find out the voth were uh, a dinosaur species that left the earth when the meteor was coming and they went to the delta quadrant and became this incredibly advanced species uh which is a wild it's one of my favorite episodes well and, they were incredibly advanced to leave the earth yeah like, right right impressive. alone yeah, yeah. Sure, sure but they weren't so advanced because they were putting science on political trial you know, for having um, dangerous ideas. Well, <laughs> well that this is a dangerous sometimes. idea here. Yeah, then right. That does. Happen. I mean, like where where uh, you know you make a, an amazing discovery and then it kind of becomes like commonplace and then eventually it's like uh, we can kind of ignore that and then there's all of these like religious rights and uh, it's it's like this book I read recently called Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Uh, oh, so, so yes. you know about of it. Course. Yeah. So Jonathan Livingston Seagull, he like learns how to fly really fast. And all the other seagulls are just interested in getting food. They're like, stop messing around, Jonathan. You're wasting your time. But he learns how to fly really amazingly. And then he like ascends to a higher level of being. And he tries to go back and teach all the other seagulls about this. And some of them like go to his school. Some of them don't. Um, and eventually Jonathan's like, all right, I've done my work. Time to go, uh, ascend to another level of existence. And then eventually all the seagulls start like worshiping him. They're like, uh, Jonathan Livingston seagull church sessions on the beach and they like build monoliths to him. And (laughs) eventually like they forget his original message altogether. They're just like, you know, chanting to him every day. Yeah, Richard Bach. That that's a classic. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a wild book. Um, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I 
I got to give credit to where someone is finally questioning this narrative and finally like, and it's amazing because a ton of publications were sharing um, about this paper saying, whoa, yeah, what if we, you know, how do we really know that we weren't the most, you know, advanced? Um, was it dinosaurs like the Voth? You know, was it, and, and is it, is it a similar narrative, you know, kind of like, you know, to what uh, Richard Bach wrote? Um, but we don't know. Yeah. We and do, how could we? Right. Especially if it was a timeline of millions of years. There's no way you, that you know. Yeah, so, nothing lasts forever. No, exactly. Let me read a little bit here. So imagine if many millions of years ago, dinosaurs drove cars through cities of mile-high buildings. A preposterous idea, right? Over the course of tens of millions of years, however, all the direct evidence of a civilization, its artifacts and remains, gets ground to dust. How do we really know, then, that there weren't previous industrial civilizations on Earth that rose and fell long before human beings even appeared? So this is even going further than me. Like, I, you know, I'm saying wow. there were advanced humans at one point, you know, and we could get into Atlantis and other shit if we really wanted to. Um, but th this is going to say, well, what if there was like a whole other species, you know, that we just don't realize, you know, had had industrial capabilities that were there. And they're bringing up the point that we couldn't know. Like, it's entirely possible that it happened and we just couldn't know. Mm -hmm. And like... You know, I saw this headline. In fact, a bunch of a lot of Sovereign Tech listeners send it in because they know, you know, the theories that I espouse. And they said, well, here you go. And I'm like, oh, fucking finally. Like someone's saying, <laughs> you know, guess what? Yeah, we wouldn't know. And just to even just to get that admission from serious academia, not that I need to appeal to authority. I'll believe what I believe. OK, but to, just to get that serious admission from them of saying, no, this is entirely possible that there was something before us is huge yeah they're like validating it kind of right and it's also really interesting because like it brings up the question about evolution and how many varieties of intelligent life there could be like yeah they they're saying it could have been species besides just humans like maybe intelligence did arise as a, a reptilian or a dinosaur it didn't have to be like a, a mammal yeah, exactly. It could have been just about any species. I mean, I mean, it seems likely that it would be some kind of hominid, right? <laughs> some human-like thing. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, the the weirder you get with it, like, what's the evidence that it was some, it was like a dinosaur, right? I mean, there is no evidence. And I guess that's the point. But it's like, yeah, I mean, maybe the Earth was ruled by like, tiny pink hippos back before the wall of history yeah, we right. wouldn't know but does that seem likely no i mean to me it seems more likely that the 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 civilizations if there were any that existed before the wall of history would be similar to those on the other on the closest side of the wall of history so like the sumerians right Sure. So, okay, well, let me read a little bit more and then let's talk about that because let's talk about some of the evidence, if there is any evidence that there was something before, because mm -hmm. I think there is. Okay, so, yeah, let's hear it. All right, so so let, let's read a little bit more here. Um, it's a compelling thought experiment and one that Adam Frank, a professor of physics and astronomy at the University of Rochester, and Gavin Schmidt, the director of the NASA Goddard Institute for Space Studies, take up in a paper published in the International Journal of Astrobiology. Now, I would assume that the International Journal of Astrobiology is a little more serious than the International Journal of Medicine mushrooms maybe <laughs> i don't know <laughs> well What's i mean the you got the head of, factor on that journal <laughs> again not to fall into appeal to authority but i mean to have the head of the goddard institute i mean that's you know that's about as much credibility as you need i'll take uh, it from you because i don't know that much about archaeology or academic archaeology sure sure well i mean he's an astro yeah this isn't an astrobiology 
journal, actually. Oh, so, okay, which we'll, got we'll, it. we'll get into why that might be important. Astrobiology? Uh, yes. What does that mean? Uh, that's like life on other planets, like uh, okay. bacteria. And actually, astrobiology's new hotness right now is looking at viruses. So, you know, they're, they're expecting to find viruses on other planets, perhaps to prove that, uh, that life exists elsewhere. So, but that's astrobiology. Yeah, um, right. I, I'm just, I'm wondering, like, what does astrobiology have to do with this, this idea that, like, there could have been other intelligent species or, like, prehistoric societies? Glad you asked, because they, I think, are expecting to someday find evidence for this on Venus or Mars. Oh. Because Venus was not always the way Venus is right now. Uh, in fact, actually, the aforementioned Cybertech newsletter that just came out, I wrote up about um, there are these uh, black splotches in the clouds of Venus. And some people are saying that could actually be life um, on Venus right now. So or not some people, but like actual scientists, like the real deal. Um, so but Venus also, you know, a long time ago would have been could have been very similar to Earth. Mars as well is equally capable of that. And so trying to figure that out here, if it happened here, would help us find out if it happened elsewhere, um, you know, based on catastrophic events or, you know, of course, I mean, one only needs to look at Mars and Venus to find out that. Holy shit, what a fucking mess. Yeah. You know, uh, good luck. I mean, even though it actually so r quick side note. And I think I mentioned this in the newsletter, like Venus is a far more interesting planet to colonize than Mars, because it's actually it's easier to do Be because if you live in the upper atmosphere of Venus, you could have floating cities and it's pretty much like a, a slightly hotter Florida uh, up there. But you're totally capable of doing it. You don't have to do a whole lot of special, you know, breathing units and all this other shit that you have to do on Mars. I don't know. I mean, who wants to live in Florida? <laughs> well, I, yes, I, I've done, been there, done that, and it is the armpit of the fucking U.S. There's no doubt about that. Okay, well, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot of people that do want to live there. <laughs> yeah, but as far as who doesn't want to live on Earth, sign me up. So <laughs> yeah. can we just take all the retired New Yorkers and like send them to Venus instead? Wow. Maybe they won't notice. Wow. <laughs> you went there. All right. Well, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, but anyway, that's I'm just, just a side making note. Florida jokes. Yeah. So, but that, you know, speaking of dinosaurs in florida yeah i saw this video of a gator that was on a golf course it must have been a 12 13 foot alligator oh. it lo literally looked like a dinosaur it was they so do. scary yeah uh, <laughs> that was in south carolina not florida but close enough i mean close you enough you got to worry about those things yeah well in the clouds of venus Probably not dinosaurs. So, <laughs> well, anyway. there might be other scary things. Yeah. Could be, because now they're saying there might be life there. But mm -hmm. anyway, so that, that's kind of the point. That's the overall gist, is that now it's, you know, they're saying, hey, you know, this, this, this paper was put out that we can't really tell right now whether or not there was any kind of industrial civilization before, uh, before ours or even before humanity, you know, was really a thing on this planet. Um, and, and again, I think that that's, that's really huge. And of course the reasoning, I'm glad you asked that question because that's really what this, the story gets into more is, all right, why are they even looking for this? It's because they want to be able to look for it and find the evidence, what the evidence could look like elsewhere, um, that, that they go, you know, as far as like Venus or Mars or something like that. So, well, I'll ask it to you, uh, actually I'll, Ellen, I'll start with you. I mean, what do, what do you think are the chances? I don't know if I've ever had you on and asked this before, but what do you think are the chances that there was either an advanced, an industrial, shall we say, at least, human civilization before 
let's say 12,000 years ago. Um, or maybe even like just another species, perhaps that, that, that got industrial and we just don't know. Oh, gee. I mean, are you saying industrial, like they figured out internal combustion engines or something like that? Something along those lines to where they had technology. Sure. Um, A high tech society. Well, I, I would say that there might be, there might be a chance, um, and it would probably be a hominid or something that was related to humans. Um, but like even now when I look around and see other intelligent species, like it is possible that, uh, given the right chances, something like dolphins could evolve to be really intelligent and create a, some sort of society. Right. I mean, like, yeah, they don't have arms and opposable thumbs, but, uh, they, they do have culture and they have yeah, names. Exactly. Studies have shown that recently. Yeah. yeah they genuinely have full on culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. So maybe they could find a way around that, you know, who yeah. knows? I, the- you know, I've had fun in my own head and I'm being a little vulnerable right now because these are the ideas that sound the most crazy. Okay. But in my own head, I've often wondered if this is a safe space, Brian. Don't yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, if I feel safe with anybody, it's certainly you too. Uh, but the, like I could almost believe, and this is kind of actually there was a game series called Echo the Dolphin for for Genesis and and other systems that was really popular that kind of hinted at this. Uh, and then you have Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which said that dolphins yeah. were actually the second most intelligent species on the planet, and humans were number three. <laughs> mice <laughs> got the first prize. Yeah, hyperdimensional mice were number one. Um, but I could almost like I I sometimes I wonder maybe the dolphins had like some kind of advanced civilization thousands of years ago, and they said fuck it. You know, they're like, uh, we're done. We're going to go, go back in the water. Yeah, they, 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 they went feral and they rewilded, you know, and then they said, all right, we're, you know, we're going back to live in the old way, you know, uh, because the culture that they have is entirely based around like their health, like brushing their teeth um, and, you know, doing all these other things. I mean, which they absolutely do. And it's something they teach to each other. That's why you can call it culture. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's one of my wilder ideas that maybe dolphins were already there and they just eschewed the whole damn thing. They're like, yeah, this whole civilization thing doesn't feel very free to me all right we're you know we're done so and maybe help maybe and then if you want to get human about it maybe the native americans did the same thing you know maybe they came from some kind of advanced civilization and they said yeah that's enough but that gets a little that sounds a little mormon so i don't want to go there uh but anyway (laughs) uh ellen continue i mean so so you're open to this like that that that's a possibility Sure. Yeah, I'm I'm open to it. I mean, like there are plenty of stories about ancient civilizations, uh, even in like mythology. And you have to wonder if that's all just a creation of somebody's, you know, dreams and imagination. Or is it actually like based on like rumors that might have been true that were passed down from generation to generation or something like that? So I don't know. I mean, like there's surely a chance. Uh, I, I doubt that we would you know, really be able to find any evidence and that we would be able to identify it as evidence if we even found it. Like, right. it might already be here and we just don't know what to make of it. Yeah, sure. Sure. I think that that's a, that's a great point to bring up. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, Stephanie, I mean, what do you think? You know, is there the chance uh, that, there were, that there were advanced civilizations before the wall of history? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think maybe we will, maybe there is evidence out there that we haven't discovered yet. Because, I mean, Gobekli Tepe is widely considered to be the oldest site in the world, maybe even predating the Sumerian civilization. It, yeah, yeah. Arguments go anywhere, you know, backwards to like 14,000 years ago. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, and that was a pretty recent discovery, wasn't it? 
Yes. Yeah. And it was buried on 20 years. It was pretty much submerged like under the sand. Uh, There were whole buildings. More interestingly, it was intentionally buried by somebody. It was intentionally buried. You're right. Yeah. So, yeah, like maybe there is more evidence that we just haven't found yet. And of course, dating these things is always a problem. It's like it's always difficult to figure out how old exactly something is. It can be a crapshoot sometimes. Yes. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And carbon dating is pretty notoriously like unreliable and doesn't exactly date things. But throw lava into the mix, and it could ruin everything. Yeah. yeah. So there are some challenges, but I mean, I think we will discover more evidence of older and older civilizations as our tech, as our archaeological technology gets better. And if people are, I I guess, I guess the good news about modern times and the technology that we have is that it is harder to suppress information than it used to be. So now we can have, you know, citizen archaeologists (laughs) that are finding stuff and putting it on the Internet or YouTube. And maybe it's not the most credible, but maybe some of them could be credible, right? Like citizen journalism has really taken off. And so why not have citizen scientists like we have biohackers? Why can't we have archaeological? archaeology hackers that are putting out evidence of of alternative views about archaeology and uh those views are v- way easier to uh get out there now and harder to suppress well two things one i think that it, that is very important um but governments often put the kibosh on that you know because like they will block off your ability to get to these sites like well, i mean there's been whole film crews that have tried to be citizen archaeologists mm-hmm. and then like the government of israel or something will say oh no you're not allowed to go there um anymore and so you run into that problem and but well, you, that is a problem but again like the government tries to put the kibosh on testing untested things like gene therapy on yourself sure. but there's People still anyway. biohackers injecting themselves with untested shit on stage and then they <laughs> die years later yeah <laughs> right um, well that was aaron trawick yeah which he, we'll talk about maybe later yeah, but <laughs> yeah in another show or something but um so but yeah the, the point is like governments try to stop a lot of shit right but they're they have varying degrees of success yeah stopping it uh, yeah i mean the other point too i think you raise a great point that it is harder to to control information i i just just as a quick aside i want to say it's also we're in the dangerous part where it's getting very tough to to know what's real uh because a lot of things can be faked photos videos sound the like the voice of somebody saying something like i mean the technologies for that you know are are problematic now as well but yeah but you're right i mean with this kind of more hard evidence which would be you know, like in archaeology, right, you can't really hold that down so much. anymore. Well, and also our tech, our technology to be able to study archaeology is getting better. For example, there was this article that came out last year about using um, a technique. Uh, what was it? It was like a sonic technique or like scattering microwaves or something like that from the atmosphere. It was some kind of imaging technique that was totally non-invasive, but it basically allowed them to take a picture of the Great Pyramid of Giza and see that there was another room in there that nobody knew, that nobody had been inside and explored. So, I mean, like, just finding something like that, it's like, okay, there's way more evidence out there, and we're going to find it as technology gets better. I would like to see some technology to look at what's underneath the sphinx without actually excavating it right Yeah, absolutely right i mean because the egyptian government won't allow people to but like you know eventually technology is going to get to the point where we will be able to take almost like you know the tsa like x-raying your suitcase we'll be able to x-ray like underneath the sphinx and see what's in there 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. And you're right about that. Like non-invasive technologies that can do that can that can actually do the the heavy lifting mm-hmm. of discovering what's under the sands of time. I say that metaphorically and literally. Uh, is improving. You're right. You're yeah. absolutely right about that. That's a great point to bring up. Even and now if- they're doing MRIs on mummified corpses and they're right. finding that they actually had like atherosclerosis and cancer and they're finding out about health stuff of like ancient humans. I mean, it's really fascinating how how much better the technology is getting and how much more information we're getting. So I'm optimistic. I think the future is bright that we will have more of a clue about what went on in our ancient past. And I mean, really, how can you not help? How can you help but wonder about those questions. You know, that's why I think so many people are fascinated with archaeology and things like the pyramids and the Egyptian civilization, because it's really interesting. It's like we want to know where we came from. Most people want to know about their family history, right? Um, like most adopted children want to know about their birth parents, right? Sure. They want to know the mysteries of of their past and feel connected to their past in some way. And um, so I think as long as people are motivated to find out that information, um, they're going to find it out. I mean, Ellen, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I I agree. I'm very excited to see what sort of technology comes out that'll allow us to find this. And also just as time goes on, there's more being explored and uh, everybody has phones that are connected to the the Internet in some way. So, yeah, I think like maybe at some point we'll find something that's really believable. But there is that saturation of information. So, um. It's it's going to be like difficult. Like I said, you know, how do you determine what's true and what's not? Right. But um yeah, with better technology, like even all the things that you said, like faking video or somebody's voice, like just it takes an expert, but you can still figure out like what is real and what is not. Yeah, you can still get to the truth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It just takes that effort. And yeah, hopefully people will get more interested in taking the in making the effort. Like I say, right now we're in the dangerous time where people just kind of believe what they see, uh, you know, and they take it at face value. And so we got to get over this hump that where people realize, oh, wait, some of this shit can be faked. And and then, you know, then they're willing to, to go the extra mile to even open up Wikipedia or something, even though Wikipedia can, can have issues as well. Uh, but just to do something and not just take it at face value. Uh, you know, we'll be much better off as a species uh, when that happens. And maybe that'll, that's one of the things that'll keep us from, you know, maybe disappearing into history. Like some of these other civilizations that could have existed that now it's finally admitted. Note, there's a chance that there could have been civilizations before advanced civilizations before us, uh, that, that, that really, that that could have happened. So, uh, do we want to, is there any, any other avenues we want to go down on this? I mean, I could, I could get into the evidence of why I think that there is advanced human civilizations, um, you know, but I mean, I would like to hear a brief synopsis of why you think that. Yeah. So you have a lot of, I mean, it's a funny thing with history because you have where people accept something within a hist- within an ancient text, and I mean ancient as an Egyptian or Jewish or something like that, where they take that as okay, no, that's what happened. Like th- this is how this goes down. Like much of history, I mean, and it, it, look, history's tough. You, you you really can't unless you're there. It's a fact, and this is a, this is a hard thing for you know people to really grasp. I think unless you're actually you lived it. You don't really know. It's all guesswork. Like all of history is guesswork. And that's the hard pill to swallow. Okay. But, you know, a paper like this is kind of proving the point. Um, so, you know, but, but a lot of these ancient texts, people take absolutely at face value that no, these, this is legitimate. The thing is, is that 
okay, so when you accept this Egyptian text as true and accurate history, there's other Egyptian texts that point at these things that we don't see anymore, like, say, the Sphinx. You, you know, Stephanie, you brought up the Sphinx. Well, the Egyptians think that there are two Sphinx. Sphinx eye. I don't know how what, what, what the plural Sphinxes. of that is. Sphinxes. Sphinxes, okay. <laughs> but that there were two. Like, it had a sister, effectively. Okay. And, well, where is it? You know, because we don't see it, we say, well, no, it didn't exist. It wasn't there. Mm. Um, there's evidence that there's something, like you mentioned, Stephanie, also, underneath the Sphinx. Okay, well, we don't see it, and we're, we're not looking for it. So what? So it's not there? You know, and, and then, like, what are the claims of what's underneath there? Well, all the knowledge of the universe. Now, me, I'd be I like, well, sign me up. I think that would be a pretty up. big incentive yeah, to like, check out what's, what's what the hell's underneath paw. this thing, right? And we do know, like, I mean, in, like, 20, 30 years ago, they they found out there was, like, a part of the paw of the Sphinx that could come off, and you could go down into it. Again, this is something where governments or even just cultural climates, you know, one only need look at the violent you know, the violence that and then revolutions that have occurred in, in Egypt just in the past couple of decades, uh, where it creates an issue with trying to have a stable archaeological team show up and try to do something. OK, but, you know, it, it's just it's bad that y- you have this evidence for this stuff. But then, well, because you don't actually see it, we write it off, you know, because even though it's being stated in the same text that other people take absolutely literally as this is when the you know, the heat sauce came through, or this is when, or for example, you have, um, you know, like the history of all the different pharaohs. Okay. You have what's called the, uh, the King's list or the Turin King's list. So we accept up to about say 4,000 years ago, we accept the King's list for exactly what it says. We're like, okay, no, this is accurate. Yeah. This, this Pharaoh came after this Pharaoh, after this Pharaoh, after this Pharaoh, all of that's absolutely legitimate. But so going back, you know, from the first pharaoh that we can kind of prove existed, that's all fine. But the thing is, the Turin's King's List actually goes back potentially about 80,000 years. Wow. Well, so so what do we do with all those pharaohs that are, you know, kings that existed before? You just write them off because they don't fit your narrative? Like, why do you accept the one half of the script, but the other half of the script, you just don't? Yeah. And that's one example of where... Okay, we have this list of people who existed, even if they get called gods or demigods or something like that, whatever. You know, you have this list that goes back so far, but it just doesn't fit in with your narrative. So you have little things like that. The Turing's King's List is a pretty easy one to point at where it's giving you a trail of history, but you're just not choosing to accept it, that there was something beforehand. You know, um, you have there's merchant records from Sumer, you know, from the city of Uruk that go back before the pyramids were supposedly built because they were built by, you know, by the Pharaoh Khufu. Um, But then you have the Sumerians saying, oh, no, yeah, yeah, there's these pyramids in, you know, what they would equate to Egypt, you know, Mesopotamia. Uh, Well, what do you do with that? Well, because that was 5000 years before the Egyptians were supposed to be. Well, I mean, a couple thousand years, you know, but regardless Okay, so wait, this guy's mentioning the pyramids, but because you're saying the pyramids were built by Khufu, he can't be mentioning the pyramids, even though geographically he's exactly mentioning the fucking pyramids. Right. So, so, so what's the, you know, what were the Egyptians just squatters? Like, did they just find these things? That's what, you know, the evidence would seem to suggest. But no, that doesn't. It's so inconvenient to try and change your entire worldview when you get new evidence like that. Yeah, it's just inconvenient, you know, and and I get it. You want more than just some merchant records from Sumer to say, well, Khufu didn't build the pyramids. But 
I would I would accept that if what's their evidence that Khufu built the Great Pyramids? It's that they found his name written on the walls of one thing. And 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 to make it worse, the only writing in the whole goddamn pyramid is this guy's name. And you accept that as absolute and true evidence that no, he's the one that built the pyramids. They were not here before, even though evidence mm. just as good in my opinion is found to say no, they were there beforehand and you know, you right. don't accept that. And it doesn't fit with the fact that the Egyptians wrote down how they did every, like how they did everything else. Oh, the pyramids don't make any sense. Yeah. They, they, they make no, yeah, because, because again, you, you go, you go to Egypt and every, every temple, everywhere you walk through, you know, it's lined with how they built it, how they did it, the story behind it, everything. And the one goddamn thing you don't have that for. Well, a couple of things you don't have that for. You don't have it for the Sphinx. You don't have it for, um, you know, for, for the pyramids. What the hell? Like that, that should be such a huge red flag saying, well, this doesn't fit their culture. So I don't think they built them. Now, again, I'm not saying it's aliens, but I am saying that, ugh, you know, like you've got you, you, something doesn't fit here. This is a puzzle piece that doesn't match the Egyptian puzzle. Um, and, you know, then there's, you know, the dating of the Sphinx that it must have been built at a time where there was water in the area because of the way that it was built and, and other other geological evidence in the area. Well, there wasn't water there. And except for thousands of years before the Egyptians were even a thing. So what happened? Did somebody built the Sphinx thousands of years previous to the Egyptians or what, you know, and in the Egyptians own records, it says that they found the Sphinx, not that they built it. They never claimed to build the thing. So, I mean, these are kind of just like the small hints and the big ones, the, the big ones that are easy to point out and say, wait, that doesn't make any sense. You know, and then when you get this paper that finally comes out and says, no, guess what? We can't fucking know if there was, you know, a civilization beforehand, um, then, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's time to start questioning some, a lot of these narratives, you know, on all of this. You know, it'll be really interesting if we do get a significant kind of global warming or like a warm age or a heat age or something like that. Mm -hmm. And some of the polar ice caps melt, like especially Antarctica. Um, what is going to be uncovered under that permafrost? Yeah, that's a good question. There's already people that think there's pyramids. Yeah, I know. We talked about it on the show. Or, once. <laughs> or there's that giant door. Some people say that there's a huge door in Antarctica. <laughs> that goes uh, to the hollow earth. That, well, who knows? <laughs> well, that's getting into a whole other ballgame. Well, there's going to be some cool fossils there nonetheless. That's for sure. Yeah, there's yeah. something there. You know, we just can't get to it right now. Right. I mean, or how about bring that up? The Piri Reis map. That's a beauty. Uh, oh, to bring yeah. Up. It's this it's this like 15th or 16th century Turkish Turkish map that shows Antarctica mm -hmm. without ice. Yeah. Perfectly. What? Right. <gasps> but here's the thing is that you you couldn't know like like what it looked like without ice at the time. And we only know now because of satellites mm -hmm. what it looked like. But this Piri Reis map is like down, you know, down. I mean, it's perfect. It gets the coastline of Antarctica really right. Yeah. A melted Antarctica. Yeah. Really right. Mm -hmm. That shouldn't be possible. So are you saying that like the ice only formed in the past few hundred years? Well, well that's what, one possibility or well, they, no well yeah. we know that that it had ice at that time mm -hmm. so it's so what we're saying is that somehow you know the creator of this map knew something that no one knew until 20 years ago hmm so that's maybe weird. they maybe it was it was unfrozen 
before that in history, and they had they oh, had ganked it from an earlier map. Maybe. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, but that's the thing is that somebody had to have an earlier map. Yeah. But that. But if you. But you where's go by the earlier the, map? <laughs> well, that's the thing. You go by the Ice Age story and all this other stuff. That earlier map would have to be tens of thousands of years old. Right. Yeah. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Right. So these are the kinds of pieces of evidence where you go, what the fuck? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, like you, your 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 narratives that archaeologists are generally selling you aren't making sense but before this paper uh and i think there's a reason that this paper was so widely distributed was because before the or you know that finally somebody in academia was taking the question seriously what if there were industrial civilizations before what we accept as uh you know before human history or in prehistory i should say or what like you were saying stephanie the wall of history uh and i do think it's a wall and we're not seeing past it mm-hmm. not, or at least we're getting glimpses holes in the wall mm-hmm. with things like that i mean there's evidence that there were gold mines a hundred thousand or 150,000 years ago that people were mining that something was mining gold hundred yeah years my gosh. Ago. i'm glad you brought that up because yeah. that's one of the things that people say is evidence for the nibiru the nibiru for the Anunnaki. The Anunnaki. The Anunnaki. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And Nibiru. Yeah. The, the Nibiru, planet with right. our um what, what our masters and we're yeah. the slave race. Yeah. Right. So, Mining yeah. gold for their atmosphere. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So but that's the thing, is that once I, I think we're not like we haven't even compiled the evidence to where it's even worth b- pointing at aliens. Here. I don't know. I always have this urge to go mining for gold. I mean, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> is that a Jew joke? No, (laughs) (laughs) but um, well, I have an urge to go mining for bitcoins. I don't know about you. Right on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's something to come up is you have the Anunnaki and there's, you know, now you have guys like Zachariah Sitchin and some others who uh, the aforementioned Eric Von Daniken, perhaps, who would say that this is the Sumerians talking about some kind of alien race. You know, not gods. They're talking about some kind of alien race. There's actually problems with that because Anunnaki. The, the other terms for the Anunnaki and the way they get described, they're not they're, the term actually means workers, not gods like Anunnaki means those who from the heavens came, mm-hmm. which could easily just mean sky. It doesn't have to be space, you know, mm-hmm. um, or from far away or. Yeah. Or I would argue, actually. Yeah, because actually the term Nibiru is what they use for the planet. I've theorized for a while that, well, you guys are off by just like a couple letters here, because if you just change the word to Nibiru, ah, it just means a faraway land. It doesn't mean Ah. like from space or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So there's, so again, these are the things that I think actually point at, no, we're, we're talking about humans here, just like the, or hell, even go with the Greeks, go with the, like the, uh, uh, you know, the gods, like Zeus and all of them. It's like, wow, they seem awful. All these gods seem awfully human throughout, uh, you know, history as well. It's because that's what they were. Like they, they, I think some of them may have actually existed, but they were just humans. They weren't aliens. They weren't gods. They weren't, you know, I'm an atheist. They weren't any of that horse shit. They were just humans. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had some kind of advanced technology. Who the fuck knows? They you had know? advanced creativity. Aha. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, actually, Stephanie, you made this point a while back and it was brilliant is that, it's equally possible that, you know, the pyramids and all this other stuff, let's say maybe the timeline's accurate, you know, uh, because a lot of people think that ancient humans were stupid. I would argue that they're not. But even if they were, every generation has their Teslas, yes. has their Einsteins that can come out of nowhere and have just the most brilliant ideas. And there's no reason that that didn't happen. So I, I think even going to the other problem with going to the alien potential of the equation is that you're short selling humans. We're not stupid. Totally. We've never been stupid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, like you're really, you're cheapening our history when, when you 
I think a go to aliens or B say, well, you know, they were dumb. So we don't know how exactly they did this, but they were just dumb. Yeah. I mean, I don't think people give human. I don't think modern humans give ancient humans enough credit. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. Like they had to be really crafty to survive. Sure. Especially without advanced technologies, right? Absolutely. I mean, shit. <laughs> well, you know, and something else to point at, you know, one of our more brilliant humans in recent memory would be Isaac Newton. I don't think anybody here would disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Newton thought, you know, Newton didn't think he was discovering anything. You know, when he's going through gravity and all this other shit that he was doing, Newton thought he was he was just figuring out what the ancients already knew. He thought the Egyptians were brilliant. He thought all these different ancient civilizations were absolutely brilliant. He thought he was just rediscovering shit. He didn't think he was coming up with anything new or original. Um, I mean, he considered it important and he'd argue with his friends as far as who gets to publish something first. But other than that, you know, like that, that was what he thought he was doing. And I think there's something to that, that there was that attitude at the time amongst, shall we say the intelligentsia, you know, in the Renaissance and, and, you know, uh, the enlightenment and all that, where they didn't think that they were coming up with anything new. They thought they were just rediscovering what ancient man or, or, you know, ancient humans already knew. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, I mean, I mean, who's to say, and according to university of Rochester, yeah, who's to say, you know, maybe there was something before. So it's interesting. And I think it's important to start questioning that. And I think it's important to, I agree with Von Daniken where he says, we got to look at this stuff with new eyes and say like, wait a minute, well, how would I translate that? I mean, also understand that you're the one doing the translating, but at the same time, it's important to do that and not leave it to a bunch of monks from 400 years ago to tell you what something means. Yeah. uh, Who couldn't see their own biases and had blind spots for sure. Right. Yeah. Plenty of biases. So anyway, any other thoughts on this? Anyone wants to get out? I'm curious to hear what the article has to say. Well, we kind of covered it. Was The whole thing? Yeah. As far as like, they're just saying that, you know, after millions of years or even thousands of years, yeah, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't see any sign of this stuff. And that's that is just a hugely important thing to put out there. Oh, damn. You're right. It is. And it's really great that they're like validating that viewpoint. Mm -hmm. But I was hoping there would be some sort of discovery that went along with it. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, we actually go. found out that the pyramids are giant batteries. Yeah, or microwave <laughs> transmitters or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, that would be awesome. But no, yeah, they didn't go that route. Uh, okay. But hopefully, once this gets more widely accepted, people are can, can take the time to, to, to actually figure that out or get taken seriously when they do figure these things out. We just have to wait for those polar ice caps to melt, you know? I mean, the, the, Why wait? the, the coastal cities might be drowning and there might, <laughs> the planet might be in chaos, but, you know. Well, Curiosity t- doesn't sleep. Yeah, yeah that, that's for sure. That's why I don't get any sleep. But, <laughs> well, one of the reasons I don't get any sleep. But um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I'll tell you, I'm totally open to finding pyramids on Antarctica. Um, I'm there's open. something exciting there. there I'm there's positive a, there's something there. <laughs> yeah, there's a great book. In fact, I'll put it out. I will get this out to people. Um, I put out books. Uh, I have books.zog.ninja. That's the that's the URL people can use. I put them out for free for everybody. It's on the Patreon page, but you can download them from Mediafire. I don't make any money off of these, but I, I collect rare books. I pay for them to get professionally scanned, and I've been uploading them. I've been leaking them a little bit at a time. I'll put out... It's called Out of Antarctica by Robert Argod, and he talks about how he thinks humanity actually all started in Antarctica and that there's and he has impressive evidence uh, to point at that. And this book, like when it was new, cost one hundred thirty five dollars. You know, now good luck getting it. And it's never going to be an ebook. So I did the I like to think heroic act 
of getting it put into an ebook for everybody to be able to disseminate and enjoy and read for themselves and come to their own conclusions on it. So yeah, I'm woo. open to finding things in Antarctica. What's that? I'm sorry. I, I went, woo. Yeah. Woo. Right on. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It is heroic. Thank I'm you. Spreading knowledge. Thank you. I, I like hearing that. <laughs> so um, anyway, let's go to another Sovereign Tech sponsor. Then we got to get into this AMA. We have to do this. I was about so, to ask. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we talked about gold. You know, humans have had this fascination with gold for a while. For I wouldn't argue that. thousand years. Why don't you continue that fascination <laughs> by it getting some help. gold and silver at Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. Sovereign Tech sponsor, longtime Sovereign Tech sponsor. Uh, and they will get you for lowest prices. You are not going to have to create an entire genetically altered slave species to get this gold you can help you could use bitcoin to get it how about that does it get any easier Isn't the future grand uh, it mean... is, the future is awesome and, <laughs> so, and they're just the best to deal with at roberts and roberts they'll give you they will give you the best price and they'll give you the best customer service and that's a really valuable relationship to have if you're yeah. interested in precious metals and i mean, I mean especially who, when you consider you... the anunnaki were enslaving people you know right. to do it. i mean this is real customer service they're not going to enslave you <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, everybody's fascinated by shiny things. And I mean, you know, like, look into it. If you've never ha done anything with precious metals, I mean, like, just check out their website. They've got cool rounds on there. Like, it's a cool conversation piece. It's a, it could be an investment. You know, you can even do like a self-directed IRA. I mean, I think they have information about that, too. So, yeah, Roberts and Roberts is just the best. You don't want to deal with these big companies that are like faceless and nameless and will report you to the government for breathing wrong or whatever. You know, you want to deal with a real um, kind of it almost feels like a local business where you get personalized attention and personalized service. Yeah, they're awesome. So go to the website, rrbi.co. Uh, let them know that the Golden Stallion sent you to get golden, baby. And Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, and I thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech, rrbi.co. That's the website. All right. So, ladies, do we have our questions ready? Oh. We are going to, this yes. is AMA, and it's not, if you, okay, it's not really like truth or dare. If you don't want to answer the question, oh. you don't have to. I'm not, there isn't like some kind of social agreement here that we're, we have to answer the question or something. Um, and, of course, one of the most beautiful answers that anybody can give, the most scientific of answers that anybody can give is, I don't know. Uh, that's <laughs> yes. where all knowledge starts. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, so we'll, we'll start going through these questions. I know, Stephanie, you're pulling yours up. Um, I'll start it off. And, and this is a very simple question. Uh, and I already kind of answered, I already gave my answer. And of course, anybody can give their own answer to their own question at the end of it. Um, but uh, I'll start off, then we'll go to Ellen. And Stephanie's in the middle of pulling hers up right now. But this, I got is, him. this is just a little fun one. And it plays off of the last segment that we were, or the story we were just reading. So I'll start with Ellen. Do you think aliens have ever visited Earth in the past? Uh, no. <laughs> Bravo. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the universe is expanding at every point and there's just so much space. I don't know how they would do it. Right. Yeah. What's the likelihood that they'd even come here? Like find this little jewel right. in the universe. Sure. Right. The odds are trillions and trillions to one. So yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure no. Okay. All right. Good answer. Stephanie? I would, I think it's fun to think about, <laughs> but I don't really believe it. Although I am open to the idea that maybe humanity started out on Mars and had to make a leap to Earth and, and Earth might be a terraformed oh. planet. Whoa. Oh. That's you know. pretty intense. <laughs> You know, maybe we're the aliens. Maybe we are the aliens. You know, that 25 hour circadian. 
Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> okay. So there's actually there's oh now the name of the book is escaping me, but there's an entire book about this done by a PhD that is about how humans don't actually seem to fit in very well with Earth, mm. uh, the way we sunburn. Um, the, yeah, the 20, we're, we seem to be more used to a 25 or 26 hour day, which is exactly what Mars has. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a bunch of other things too, that make, that make an interesting thought experiment at the very least of maybe humans originally, maybe we were dropped off here and this isn't, we're not originally from this planet. So, uh, yeah, I am, I might be slightly open to that as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I'm open to the idea of panspermia, like maybe not intelligent right. life, but like bacteria that come on a comet. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That that's what populated the planet. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. Is so, it my turn to ask? Uh, we'll, we'll go to Ellen Oh, we'll next. go to, okay, we're going yeah, yeah, clockwise. Yeah. Right. Got okay. it. Well, I guess I'm going to change the tone up a little bit because yeah, this is more of a question, just like getting to know your personality a little more. Um, so, and, and you can't lie about this cause I've seen, but what kind of a person are you when it comes to toothpaste tubes? Do you just like squeeze from the middle or do you roll it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I this says a, a lot about your personality. I believe I am a toothpaste anarchist. I squeeze it from the middle as long as I can, as long as I can get something out. And then when that stops working, I roll it from the bottom and then I squeeze it from the middle and it kind of forces it back down into the bottom. I've never had one of those toothpaste roll up saver things. Okay. Um, I think that the money, any money you would save is... It would take years to recoup the cost. This is the best. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Chaotic neutral when it comes to <laughs> I'm dying that's to know pretty... what this says about a personality. Well, that's really efficient. And like, I don't... okay, sorry. I want, I want to hear your answer before I just go into the analysis of it. So, so here's, here's the funny thing. Like, I just had to think about it. Like, wait, what do I do? I think I just squeeze from the head. Oh my gosh! You squeeze from the head. Yeah. What? Okay. okay, so yeah, that's really interesting because like how people treat their toothpaste is is kind of like an indicator of how mindful they are when they're doing tasks that are like sometimes mundane or repetitive. Um, so like if if you're really efficient and like rolling it. Um, that kind of shows that like you're paying attention and that you care about your items and you want to make them last as long as possible. But if you're just like squeezing from the head, that's kind of like an impatient practice and it's, <laughs> like, you're not really paying attention. You're not doing things, uh, in the most effective way. You just like want to get it done. Brian, you need wow. to treat your toothpaste well, more mindfully. All right. Well, in, I mean, when it gets to where I can't do that anymore. Then I start doing the roll up. Well, but yeah. but you still do it for as long as possible. <laughs> like put off the difficult part until you you can't anymore. Yeah, but wow. why make things more difficult? Why why not if you can accomplish the goal with as least work possible, isn't that just efficiency? Well, I I don't think it is the least work possible if you're just <laughs> squeezing cuz I've I used to be that kind of person that would just like squeeze from the middle or squeeze from the head 
for as long as possible and then it'd be like oh darn well there's still all this toothpaste in here but it's like not at the head and now i have to roll it the whole thing (laughs) and like you have to squeeze really hard at the head sometimes and there's just like that little bit that you can see but it's not coming out yeah and then you're like use your thumb (laughs) use your thumb you turn you you flip it over and use your press it with your thumb so wait so are you the efficient type you can always get a pea-sized amount come on (laughs) (laughs) not forever does this mean i'm bad am i yes no no well if you're bad i'm bad bad too (laughs) (laughs) but okay so here's a counter argument so if you have a full (laughs) tube of toothpaste you can't control the stream if you're starting at the bottom and squeezing it well no that well it's it's good to like start from middle squeezing when it's like so full that like anywhere you squeeze it you're gonna get toothpaste Uh but like once you start getting down to like okay it's like half full now uh yeah that's that's when it's like much easier to start rolling instead of just <laughs> trying to squeeze it up from from the head or like from the middle because you could really get yourself into a pickle with this that this is brilliant okay. <laughs> all right all right all right all right so <laughs> Uh, Stephanie, let's go to your, your question. We have multiple questions. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll just I've keep, got like five different questions. We'll go till we're done. Okay. All right, <laughs> okay. cool. So a little bit rapid fire here. What's your favorite operating system for for a computer and why? And would you say that you have allegiance or brand loyalty to it? Is it part wow. of your identity? Hmm. Wow. Okay. You want me to go first, Ellen? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Okay. My favorite operating that's kind of tough, like because I like operating. Nobody systems said for these questions reasons. are easy, Brian. No, well that's that's true, <laughs> and uh, and we have like I said, we have multiple. So, uh, so wait, so what's my favorite operating system, and why, and why, and would you say that you have like an allegiance or a brand loyalty to it? And oh man, oh, uh, so my favorite, like my favorite favorite operating system is actually OpenBSD, which nobody else uses. Well, cool. practically nobody else uses. Um, I love it partly for its hipster nature, like the fact that nobody else uses it. And, and like, if if you tell somebody, oh, yeah, this computer's running OpenBSD, they all kind of look at you and go, ooh, you know, like there's this, this, this stop, like, oh, ooh. man, this guy's serious, you know, and I, and I do I do like that. But, um, no, the real reason I use it is it is arguably the most secure operating system in the world. Um, I mean, it has been for decades uh or for a very long time um but at the same time like i don't do you can't do as much with it as you can with like say a windows machine um or something like that uh i i I guess i have like brand loyalty to it wow this is i'm I'm shocked this this should be a very easy question for me but i feel that it's not i won't i won't take much longer on it why is it such a hard question for you because i don't like I don't, I don't, I'm not, well, I'm not a monogamous in much of anything. And (laughs) it's hard to pick just one favorite operating system. Yeah. Like I I use different operating systems for different things. I could see that. Yeah. Um, But you know, I'm going to say something crazy. I'm going to say, because, well, favorite and greatest are two different things. I, I loved Windows 2000. Like I love that with all. With all of my heart, like I I really, I mean, because it had all the abilities of Windows XP, so I could play all the fucking games in the world. It used NTFS, which at the time was actually pretty hot. Um, And, you know, I really, there was a time where I thought Bill Gates, like, I thought he was really going to set this whole damn thing free. You know, like, I mean, like, like the world. 
And, and in fact, I still, I've told this story before to this day, I think the U S government went after him because he did become more powerful than any government on the planet. And he had the potential to just change everything. And they were terrified of him. And I think windows, there's a reason windows took over so much, uh, or that it, that it's still the most used operating system today and all that. I don't like the closed nature of it, certainly, but at the same time, you know, windows is, it's the Swiss army knife. You throw anything at it and it, and it figures out what to do with it. Just mm-hmm. about anything you throw at it. And I think that that's fucking remarkable. And I think that I get so annoyed in my own hacker community <sighs> that that respect doesn't, isn't given to it. How backwards compatible that thing is. It respects history in a very real way. Windows 2000, especially because it kept the classic nineties look of windows, but then it had all the extensibility of, of windows XP. Um, yeah, I really, I really, really love that. And I thought that there were some brilliant ideas being laid out in that, that, that people completely forget about. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I think when the U S government goes after a guy like Bill Gates and brings him to the point of tears, like where he was literally crying. Um, I think there was a crime against history performed there. I'm not saying Bill Gates is a good guy now, and maybe he wasn't a good guy then. But, yeah, I was definitely, in in a very real way, I was rooting for Microsoft at that point, saying, yeah, you guys are really going to do something. I started rooting for them again, then I learned different uh, recently. But, um, but yeah, I'm going to say Windows 2000. I'm going to go with a curveball like that. All right, Ellen? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Um, So... I actually was going to answer the same thing because Windows 2000 was the first operating system that I was familiar oh, with. Yeah, um, it, it was like what I grew up with and it's what I played all my games on and I wrote all my Word documents on. You know, real quick, the other thing, Windows 2000 had the default sound scheme was called Utopia. Yeah. And I've still never heard a sound scheme on any operating system. Like sound scheme meaning the sounds that it would make when you log in, boot out, or like a okay uh, message comes up or anything. It sounded so futuristic. It was like this. Like, I mean, yeah. like it really sounded like you were in the future. That was really cool. Anyway, sorry, please continue. You're right. That was beautiful. Um, But I mean, my answer is not nearly as in-depth as yours because I'm not a computer nerd. Sure. I just, um, the reason it's my favorite is because it's so easy to navigate and it's really... um accessible like it's yeah, on that classic so many start devices. menu is so easy to get around mm-hmm. in. yeah yeah exactly um and as far as like brand loyalty i'm pretty sure that like i kind of do have a brand loyalty to windows like i've never bought any apple products ever right on. <laughs> just like for some reason when i think about apple i'm like no that doesn't seem reliable it's way too expensive and like I, I don't know. It's just like some hipstery thing that I don't want to touch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that because like at, around the time the Windows 2000 came out, I got the first iMac, which actually just celebrated 20 years uh, as far as coming out a, a few days ago. Um, and I remember looking at Apple. I'm like, yeah, you know, this is nice. This is really pretty and all that. But a computer shouldn't be fucking pretty. Like, I, I mean, like this isn't right. And so I would go back to Windows 2000 and say, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. This is, you know, this is like you know, getting greasy with your hands in the engine and the, the whole thing. And I really love that about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's, that's my answer. So yeah, I guess I do have some sort of brand loyalty, but like, I wouldn't want to buy like a windows phone, I guess. Oh, yeah, but, that's pretty uh, much dead anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. As far as computers go, um, I'm always a windows operating system kind of person, but like, uh, I, I liked windows seven a lot better than windows 10. Mm. Yes. I, I share that. Yeah. And a lot of people share that windows seven was arguably, I mean, Windows it didn't it's didn't have as much life as Windows XP. Windows XP is still used all over the world, but mm-hmm. Windows Seven is like the the sequel to XP, and it is a great operating system. I agree. Mm. Yeah, 
Stephanie? Oh, do I have to answer my own yeah, question? Yeah, if, if you want to. No, you don't sure. have to. Um, I'm a Windows fan. <laughs> sure. I, I love Windows, and I it's I think it's because I grew up with it. I mean, I remember my dad running DOS and teaching me about DOS when I was a little kid. Love wow. DOS. Yeah, yes. and, and then he had Windows NT, and we used it, and I learned how to use a computer pretty much. My very first computer was an Apple So I did have experience with Macintosh, you know, sort of before that when I was a really little kid, maybe ages like four to about eight. But then, um, you know, my dad, who was the one who taught me about computers, switched over to uh, Windows, which was probably based on his work. And um, yeah, I started using Windows NT and then Windows 95. And Windows 95, I just thought was really cool. It was just a masterpiece. It it was it was game changing at the time. No doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah, and then, I mean, getting on the internet, that was also Windows 95. Um, yeah, that was the first one to have Internet Explorer. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess I just, I have a lot of nostalgia and fond memories about Windows. Um, at gaming as well. I did PC gaming on Windows Fuck yeah. when I was a kid. So, um, I, I would say I do have a brand loyalty to uh, Microsoft, and I still use Windows for, for all my work, and um, I'm not ashamed of that. But I've been in a lot of environments in my life where people used uh, Mac exclusively, and they were very loyal to Mac Mac products. Yeah. And um you know, I was I felt I guess like turned off by that like in science for example. It seems like everyone uses Macs and I was the only PC person. And um you know, I got a lot of shit for it, but I just found it to be more productive and better, so I stuck to my guns. And um yeah. I, I think everybody has like little brand loyalties in those cases, you know, it's well, kind especially of, with Apple people, you know, oh, when, you, yeah. when you're into Apple, people are into Apple. I mean, I I broke free from that Yeah, style, but I th- but. that's what I'm saying. I think I'm just as bad as the Apple fans cuz I have a loyalty to Windows. Yeah, and yeah. I have nostalgia with Windows. Yeah, but you know, I'm just going to say this quickly. Like the app the cult of Apple is bullshit. The reason that Apple was used so much in the environments that you experienced in colleges and wherever else is because Apple was giving discounts because Apple was tanking as a company. They didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, we either sell wholesale or we're screwed. As to where Microsoft didn't care. No, we charge full price for this enterprise environment. We're going to charge it to you for your college. You know, what do you, who, who do you think you're talking to? And so they, <laughs> colleges got into Apple because they're cheapskates. Yeah. Not because that they give a shit or that they're better computers, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing is, is that, why do so many people, so many like people that graduate college and whatever else use Apple? It's because those Apple discounts, either that or because their parents bought them that computer and to And they're Apple's still using credit, the computer from college. <laughs> right. To Apple's credit, their computers can last 10 years, you know, and great. That's nice. Mm-hmm. But let's be clear here. You don't really love Apple and that's not the best computer in the world. It's just the most convenient one for you to have gotten your hands on. And now it's become like kind of a thing. Now but it's become a lifestyle. <laughs> right. It's not. But it's not because it's the better computer. Um, not by a long shot. Yeah. I get so. T- I mean, people like Apple like Apple, but it, I get so tired of that fucking narrative, you know, and it, it's ridiculous that it's a big deal in college. Even a guy like, uh, uh, you know, Alan Kay will come out, who's one of the greatest computer scientists of all time, will come out and say, you people are, when he sees Apple computers lying around, he tells him, it's like, you're using antiques, you know, and he would say the same thing about a Windows computer too, but he's like, you're all using antiques and he makes fun of them. And I think it's actually kind of great uh, because, you know, people think they're so hot to trot because they open it up and they've got their rose gold fucking MacBook. Oh man. 
walk into a Starbucks, I, I, I get very agitated very quickly. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you know, I, I just can't handle it because these people have no idea. Uh, but anyway, so, okay. Great question. Um, do we want to move Thank on to you. another one? Yes, of course. I've got five questions and Ooh, I said, all right, well, four to go. If you got the time, <laughs> yeah. you know, all right. Let's do like a more rapid fire kind of thing. Hell yeah. yeah. So, and just for the quick record, I am recording this podcast presently on Ubuntu, on a, on a computer with Linux on it. So before somebody says, Brian loves Windows, it relax. Uh, so, all right, here we go. Um, and I'll start with Ellen on this. Sure. A snake talks to you. Yes, it's a talking snake. All right. Okay. Like, Am I dreaming? Bible. <laughs> it tells you to eat to eat an apple. <laughs> okay. Do you do it? Um. Well, I I have a lot of questions <laughs> for this little snake. Um, <laughs> well, fortunately, you can answer because it's somehow a talking snake. Okay. Um, so why should I eat this apple? I mean, what kind of a sales pitch is that? It's just It'll give to... you knowledge of good and evil. Oh, well, It'll give I give you mean, more knowledge. That sounds pretty good to me. I mean, yeah, why wouldn't I want to eat that apple if I can learn more? I mean, is there a cost to this? What I mean, is the cost just that I know too much after that? Yeah. Well... I guess that's better than living in ignorance. Woo! All right, great answer. <laughs> Stephanie? I would have some questions for the snake, too. All right. Um, I'll play the part. Who actually are you? Yeah. Who is this snake? Yeah. I'm, I'm a talking snake. Isn't that impressive enough? <laughs> All right, impressive, sure. I mean, but... yeah, it's, it's impressive, but... I mean, there's um... nothing weird that a snake is talking to a, a person. Like, that's, that's actually it legit. Is, it is weird, because I've never had a snake talk to me before. What are you talking about? Like this is, this is something that happens. Don't snakes talk yeah. to you today? Haven't like, you what? read Harry Potter? I mean, <laughs> no creatures. Look, look, snakes don't. We don't evolve. Okay, we we've been talking since the beginning. There's no reason we'd stop talking. Oh right, people just haven't been listening to you. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Uh, what's the catch? Why do you want me to eat this apple? What's your motive? Right. I feel very uncomfortable right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to not eat that apple because um, <laughs> no, when answer. somebody tells me what to do and they don't have good answers and they keep giving me bullshit back, I think that's a good idea to do not to not do what they say. <laughs> Here's the thing. What if I told you if you if, if you eat it, you won't die. Don't worry. Why should I believe you? Give me some evidence of that. How will this apple make me not die? I mean, that sounds like bullshit This is not to me. as fun as Ellen's answer. All right, well, <laughs> I mean, it this sounds is... great to have knowledge of good and evil, right? Yeah. But I feel like I already have a pretty good sense of good and evil right now. So I don't know if I need any extra in that department. I mean, <laughs> it's, this is like taking drugs from a stranger at a <laughs> festival that they picked up off the floor or something. All I'm right. trying to find the snake's hidden agenda here. Exactly. She's on to something. trying to pull back the curtain here. <sighs> I could tell you, but... All right. Just give us the well, real motive. I'm not eating that apple. You know, snakes have had a great disservice done to them this entire time and that nobody's listened to them. She's yeah. the first person that's actually listening to this talking snake. And now the talking snake's not going to answer her questions? I, the talking snake is, is answering, but is giving me bullshit, <laughs> feeding me a line. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if this talking snake were real, it wouldn't be a great <laughs> salesman. <laughs> What if what the if snake's eating... trying to get in my pants? <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's what it was the whole time. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, all right. Anyway, that's all I got. <laughs> all right. What about you? 
if a talking snake asked you to eat an apple and didn't give you any motive or reasoning, just said, yeah. here, eat this apple. As a woman, I've been uh, very skeptical of anyone who's wanted to feed me something without telling me why. All right. Well, I'm going to dodge <laughs> the I don't question. Trust. And if the woman ate it and then came and asked me, hey, this is great. You got to try this. I'd do it <laughs> without even thinking. <laughs> I would do it. So, and, and it honestly, like if there was a talking snake, I would be in so much awe that I would say, you know what? Like there's a talking snake telling me to eat this thing. Something's going on. I, I, I would eat it because I, a, I'd be worried that I'm like getting delirious because of a lack of food or something like that. So Mm -hmm. I should probably eat something. Um, and B like, I would just be so amazed at the moment that what's happening. Yeah. I'd, I'd probably eat it. I'd be like, well, there's some magic behind whatever's happening. Something's go- something very strange is going on yeah. here. So I'm going to give this a shot, and I'm going to go see how far this rabbit hole goes. So there we go. <laughs> the great that? adventure begins. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's it. That's all I got. Okay. Or I, I actually, I have another question, but Ellen, but, you, know, you have now another Ellen question. We'll go to another one. Yeah. Okay. I really like that situational one. Um, <laughs> that reminds me of one that I thought of uh, last time. We're going to well, do we're the originally going to do the AMA. AMA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. But I also have another one that's a little more pressing, so I'm going to ask that first. Okay. Um, so if you could choose to have a superpower, what would it be? And if you needed to save the world after attaining the superpower, who would you choose to be your sidekicks? Whoa. That is so cool. Okay. Yes. Um, so I can only have one superpower? Um, well, I, I guess you can have two if you if you (laughs) i only i think i only need one okay Okay. so my superpower is going to be omnipotence Ooh. um i'm just gonna be go ahead and become a goddess (laughs) i mean i'm already pretty close anyway so (laughs) it's not that far of a stretch Mm -hmm. um so yeah i since i'm I'm omnipotent i can see the future i can fly i'm invincible i can go through walls i can be invisible i can hold my breath is when you know everything right well, omnipotent is all powerful. So, um, right. omniscient. But I don't think omnipotent is a power. Omniscience is a power. Uh, so, I think there's a reason those are two separate words. But continue. I, I won't. I. This is your fantasy. You go. <laughs> I'm loving it already. Well, I'm just. I'm just saying. I'm a goddess, and so I don't really need need a sidekick. But it would be fun to have you two as sidekicks Aww. to save the world. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That- and since Thank I'm omnipotent, you. I'm just going to go ahead and make you two omnipotent as well. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love this deal. All right. I, I, well, fantastic. Done. Mic drop. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay. My Well, first off, I'm honored. And I think that's yeah, wonderful. Yeah, of course. So, um, so, okay. So, it's my turn. Yeah? Mm-hmm. All right. I did not think in that way. I thought about thinking that way. Like, cause you can always come up with like something where it just makes you all powerful. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then, okay, whatever, you know, then nothing really matters. Um, I will answer the sidekick question first. My answer would be the exact same. These are Aww. the exact two people in the world <laughs> that I would choose in an instant. Um, so, and that's without question. Uh, as far as like the one power that, that if I could have, uh, I mean, I, I got to go with, I got to go with flight, you know, like yeah. I, I just have to go with flight. Like they're, they're, that's, that's one, like in any of my dreams that I ever have, 
flight is always the one that I that 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 comes to fruition. Flying you know? dreams are mm-hmm. so cool. Oh, they're yeah. the best. I only have them when I'm feeling like carefree and not a care in the world. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. but they're the best. And the weirdest part is, is I can remember them having them like even as a kid, and you get all the sensations of flying, but I couldn't possibly know those sensations. Like that's what's that. It's it's kind of weird. And, and how that works out like but i know like i would feel and later on and i'd think back on it and it's like yeah that's what it feels like you know yeah. even just like the feeling of dropping in a plane and things like this mm-hmm. like i just didn't know mm-hmm. it's fascinating yeah. like your body actually experiences the g's right exactly yes yeah it, it's it's so strange but yeah i would i would have to go i'd have to go with flight um like there's a part of me that would want to go with something a little more telepathic perhaps but I feel like that gets into responsibilities and areas that I don't want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like that or that I don't want to be party to. Totally. Um, so so that I, I wouldn't go with that, though, if it were like a li- like there's people I'd love to have telepathy with, you know, that I'd like to experience that with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't want it with everybody and I wouldn't want it to be like an like an uncontrollable thing where I can read everybody's thoughts. I don't want to know everybody's thoughts. Yeah, where they don't want their thoughts to be read. Like if I really did that, I'd be talking to people all the time saying, well, how are you feeling right now? You know, and I I don't, I don't, I just don't care. You know, I mean, like I'm glad that they're enjoying life and whatever and I want them to be happy and everything, but I have no desire to feel what other, what, what, you know, pick the sm- the whatever percentile, the highest percentile possible, minus a couple people. I have no other interest uh, in knowing what they think. So, um, yeah. So there, there, there's there's my answer for, for that. What, what about you? Oh, wow, cool. Okay. So when I asked that question, I was thinking maybe more along the lines of like comic books or like Marvel characters or something. But oh, I could come you up guys, with that. You guys totally like went out of the bounds of <laughs> what I was expecting. So that's really cool. Um, I guess if I were to have a superpower, I would... I mean, like Stephanie's answer clearly like that solves all of the universe's problems sure. and there's nothing to worry about ever again. But like if I had to choose just one, like I I would want it to be something like being able to breathe underwater or uh, flight is a really good one or like being able to reverse entropy, something mm. like that to preserve the universe for longer. But like I just think it would be so cool to breathe underwater and like you could actually live in the ocean if you mm. wanted to or yeah. like you know go for deep dives and yeah, you would yeah. have gills yeah that could be <laughs> awesome. be like a yeah. fish, yeah. fish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool so what about the second part uh well i mean you guys are of course like my real life partners in crime <laughs> <laughs> uh and we're saving the world together right now but <laughs> Woo, <right> on. <laughs> cool um but i guess like i i don't know like I, I don't really have a good answer besides that for sure. the sidekick thing. Like, sure. I've always been a big fan of Spider-Man, but he couldn't come with me underwater. Oh, so you want to <laughs> yeah. choose like 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 Marvel heroes? Well, well, yeah. I mean, that's just the the lines that I was thinking along. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with being more creative and going sure. to different levels with that. Well, uh, all right. So real quick, I'm going to answer. Um, I'll give I'll give like a like a comic book answer on this, and I would actually want Invisible Woman's powers, uh, very much for the reasons you described. Like they, I mean, granted in comic books they've like altered things many times where they they suddenly take a very simple power like turning invisible and they'll kind of retcon it to where it can do a whole lot more. So uh, Susan Storm, uh, of the Fantastic Four, who's Invisible Woman. They they later explain her power is that she creates like a literal field around her 
but this field that gives her invisibility can do a whole lot more where she can create a bubble that she can breathe within where she can go underwater because she actually has a entire relationship or affair uh, with Namer, the submariner, who is the king of Atlantis. Whoa. Uh, yeah, right. And, and like, I mean, that's hot as hell for a million reasons. But regardless, um, she could also use it to create like a, like a bubble that like in, in a villain's throat that could choke him to where like it cuts off a nerve or, you know, cuts that's off the, the airway. Um, like her, her ability to project these invisible bubbles becomes like this almost godlike power uh, on her part. So like if I had to choose a Marvel power, it'd probably be that something along those lines. And if I had to choose like my two superhero buddies to be around me, if I could jump out of Marvel, I definitely have Batman with me <laughs> and yeah. yeah. And probably wonder woman just because, well, for a lot of reasons, but anyway, that's, yeah. She's a wonderful woman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All so. right. My next question. Um, are you hooked on caffeine? Yes or no? And if yes, what form do you prefer your caffeine, your addiction? <laughs> and third part of that question is, do you think that the prevalence of caffeine addiction says anything about society at large? Okay. Brian? I'll go. Um, am I addicted? Are you hooked? Yeah. Am I hooked? Yes. Okay. What form do you like your caffeine? Uh, I'm going to give two answers. My favorite is uh, from Death Wish Coffee called Valhalla Java. I knew you were going to say that. Mm, <laughs> we just had some of that before the show. Yeah. Isn't that great? It was very tasty. I know. Counteract the carb coma. Zach Wild. I mean, <laughs> is it an guy... effective antidote for um... yes, very effective. pretty well. Insulin. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, I really love my pre-workout drinks, which that has like 500 milligrams of caffeine oh, yeah. in it. I mean, like That's... it's really crazy. And like, 500? It's like four something. It's, no, really? Like, it's, it's a crazy amount. That is a lot because, yeah, a cup of coffee has like 80 or something or 100. Or 100. Yeah, yeah, it's like four cups of coffee. I also do like... No I, wonder you get angry if you can't work well, out when you... I don't get you, angry. <laughs> you, I get you do. You get agitated and angry if you have your pre-workout drink, maybe. but you're not able to work out right away. Well, I mean, it hypes me up. Like, wow. No, like, in I fact, just... I was recording a little podcast for Patreon, which which if you want to come be a patron, folks, go to SovereignTech.com to do that. Um, and I, I did it. I recorded it within 30 minutes. It takes 30 minutes for my pre-workout drink to, to kick in 20 to 30 minutes. And I could, I listened back to it and I was like, holy shit, you can hear my voice amp getting up, faster and, I and get faster, more excited. <laughs> and I start going, Whoa, wah, you know, like the whole thing, like, like mid podcast, oh I can tell that this shit's kicking in. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. But, um, but also, you know, like, I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not, this isn't a boast. I'm, I'm just saying, really, I don't argue with the results of the pre-workout drinks. I mean, like, I, I, I think they, they help a lot and I think I'm doing pretty good. So, uh, yeah, now, all right, what was the, sorry, what was the other part of this? So do you think that the prevalence of caffeine use or caffeine addiction even says anything about society? Yes. And what do you think it says? In fact, it may point, uh, like it might be the best evidence ever for the Anunnaki. Because this is Ooh. this is the ingredients <laughs> of a slave species, of a worker species. Like this is something like you know, <laughs> if you wanted to invent a drink for people that were mining gold for you, you would invent coffee. And I mean, because it's delicious for one, it has this great smell. It has like all these different products that like I mean, it's almost like it's not sex, but it's almost like sex where it has everything that like I think a human, the average human could want. And then it gives you that ability to keep on going. Oh, man. So, um, 
But I mean, also there's the simple answer that yes, we are a completely overworked species. We do not concentrate on our happiness enough whatsoever. Mm. Um, and it's really, really at the same time, very sad. Um, you know, how, how prevalent coffee and tea and things like this are, mm. um, because, you know, I don't know that we need to like ingest that sort of shit or that we we're ever really designed to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, through evolution, but anyway, but there, there, there's kind of my double answers. Ellen, go. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm glad you asked this question. I have a lot to say about it actually. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I, I would say that, yeah, I am, uh, addicted to caffeine physically, I wouldn't say like psychologically I am. I, I would you can be, quit anytime you want. Well, I would be willing to quit coffee. And like I have, like there are some times where like for weeks I'll go without drinking a cup of coffee. Right. And that's just because like it's really irri irritating to my digestive system. Mm. Um, so my favorite form of caffeine is in tea. And I mean, I think tea has a lot of other health benefits too. Yes. Um, but that's really delicious. I also like chocolate, and chocolate has a certain mm. amount of caffeine in there. I'm glad you said chocolate, yeah. Anyway, I love that, like, if I need a little boost, like, if I'm at work and I'm starting to feel, like, drowsy and I can't focus, yeah, I'll go get a cup of coffee. And, like, it's a nice conversation piece because I have other coworkers that like having coffee, too, and will, like get together and make a, po a pot of coffee and then um, we'll like share and swap different types. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, as far as like societal implications and what it says about uh, people in general, like I think the existence of Dunkin' Donuts and the prevalence of it here is just, uh, it, it's like sad and kind of gross because it's not even like good good coffee, coffee. <laughs> it's terrible yeah it's yeah. really yeah. horrible yeah we had talked actually stephanie and i were talking about this recently too yeah i mean it, it it's it in fact there's like a running joke that when somebody dies a dunkin donuts gets built if you die um, in new england you come back right as a you dunkin come back donut. As, no, that's it yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's the joke and and it seems to be true and like honestly this shit tastes like death i mean it, yeah. It's, yeah yeah it's so watery and then they add all that cream and sugar and it's just ugh. like who wants but so many people buy it and so many yeah. people like it and are yeah, addicted to it. Yeah, and if it's it. not that, it's Starbucks. I mean, there's well, Starbucks is way better. Coffee everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> there is coffee everywhere, and um, I think that does speak a lot to being overworked, like you said, Brian. Um, but like, it it just it. I think it says also like people aren't listening to their bodies. Like sometimes yes. when you're drowsy, you just need a nap, and there's nothing you can do that's going to like fix that. Uh, and caffeine, like it can kind of wake you up and make you more jittery but like it doesn't give you like a clean healthy energy it's more like a jittery angsty kind of yeah. energy um it's not like you just ate a really great salad and right. <laughs> now you're ready to get to work it's more like you just like have this fire lit under you and now you just have to do stuff um and, and i think like there was a study done once where uh spiders were given all these different substances and then their webs were analyzed afterwards. Yes, I'm familiar with that one. Yeah. Yeah. And and like the caffeine web just looked chaotic. Yeah. Like mm. it was like no psycho. Oh, I've seen <laughs> yeah. this. Yes, yes, yes. Actually, I know. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Great yeah. thing to bring up. And that's, that's how I feel sometimes after I have too much coffee. Like I'm awake and I'm going, but like I'm not focused right and sometimes it's it's like i just wish this was over 
I had way too much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it does, it does kind of speak to like how people don't give themselves what they actually need. They just want the quick fix. Um, and the existence of all the Dunkin' Donuts kind of, uh, proves that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I, that's something I've been recently struggling with a lot. Uh, I actually read a great book just called sleep by Nick Hoddles that, um, yeah, I, I mean, not naps aren't for everybody, but I think for some people like that's, that's a part of the program. And like, I think instead of writing the, like saying, okay, like I've, I've gotten to the point where I've learned, okay, I'm going to feel like down at this time. So I'll have some caffeine and like, I have a daily routine and when I have it, but like really what I should be doing is no, I need to lay down and, and get or take a nap and then get up and not say, okay, no, I just need to keep going. But you know, not everybody can get there in life. Um, yeah. and then, but I think it's a laudable goal. So. And sometimes caffeine, like, you know, a small amount of caffeine is just what you need to like get the, the last little push of the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I never stopped taking it in the pre-workout sense because I, I really think that's super helpful, but that's also very specific in what it's meant for. And mm-hmm. it's meant for my health, not meant for like to keep me working for the man or something like that, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> great question. What, Thank how you. About, I mean, do you want to answer it? Sure. I'll answer my own question. So yes, I am hooked on caffeine. Um, I am less hooked than I used to be. I uh, have been at various times in my life. There have also been times in my life when I consumed no caffeine consciously, and those were interesting too, and I might talk about them. My preferred form is uh, jasmine green tea. I drink... Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I drink uh, several liters of jasmine green tea every day, and it's an elaborate ritual brewing the tea, and um, I really enjoy that. It's so delicious too. Thank great. you. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of people love the smell and taste of my tea. Um, so yeah, the tea I drink is Numi Jasmine green tea and, um, it's an organic green tea. Uh, I, I actually mix the pearls with, um, the loose leaf non-pearl tea. It's like kind of half and half. Mm-hmm. And then I brew it in a Nalgene bottle and I use a strainer that's called the H2 Go. And it's a strainer that fits in the Nalgene bottle and then you can drink through it and it strains out any leaves that just stay in the bottom of the bottle. And um, I put stevia in it. So I have like, I have a whole recipe for this tea that... Um, <laughs> you have a ritual. I have a ritual, yeah. Every night. I brew it the night before because yeah. I like to drink it at room temperature. So I brew it the night before and let it cool down overnight. And then in the morning, I have room temperature tea waiting for me all perfectly made Um, and even when I go on vacation I bring all the stuff even though it's a pain in the ass I bring all the stuff to make tea because it makes me feel at home it's a comforting thing Um, now when I was in college I was uh, unfortunately taking uh, hormonal birth control for about a year and a half and it wreaked havoc on my health. Uh, I regret doing that really badly. I feel like it probably is going to impact my health for the rest of my life. I shouldn't have done it, but I did. Um, And there's an interesting side effect. This happens to pregnant women too, but estrogens and progesterone, I think it's mostly estrogens, interfere with the metabolism of caffeine and vice versa. Caffeine interferes with the metabolism of estrogens. Ah. They compete for enzymes in the liver that metabolize both of them. And so if you are taking exogenous estrogens in the form of hormonal birth control, or if you're pregnant and there you have high levels of estrogen because of the pregnancy, then your liver has less space to process caffeine and the half-life of caffeine jumps up. It's really interesting pharmacology. Men who don't have much estrogen in their system 
process caffeine with a half-life of three to four hours, typically. So uh, that mean, uh, the half-life means um, that's the time it takes for your body to eliminate half of the drug that's in your system. And then it keeps going there, it keeps having and having until it's eliminated, essentially. So men can process caffeine with uh, a half-life of three to four hours. But in women who are pregnant, the half-life of caffeine can be like 12 to 24 hours. It, it really goes up. Whoa. So that like there was a there were a couple of times when I drank a cup of tea in the morning and I was unable to go to sleep at night. You were buzzing all day. Yeah, yeah. I was buzzing all day. Sure. So that was bad news. So I, I just cut it out completely. I couldn't have any caffeine, really. And same same went for chocolate. Chocolate would really wire me up. Chocolate actually still wires me up. So I, I don't typically have chocolate for dessert at night if I want to go to bed because it, it can make my heart pound. Once One time we went on a tour of a chocolate factory and they were just feeding us samples of chocolate all day. Remember that, mm, Brian? I do. Yeah, I think we ta- yeah, we talked about it on the we show. We got to go to this. And yeah. I felt like I was going to have an arrhythmia or something. Like my heart was pounding so hard and so fast. It was really kind of disturbing, but it was from all the chocolate. So chocolate has different alkaloids in it. It does have some caffeine, but it also has something called theobromine, which is a caffeine-like alkaloid. Um, And different people's bodies react to it differently. My heart will also pound if I have too much caffeine. And I get these weird, paranoid, anxious delusions. Like if if I drink a bunch of caffeine or um, sometimes even chocolate, but this is mostly from tea, caffeine in tea form. At night, um, I will lay down in bed and start worrying about the government is coming after me and people are coming after me and like just all kinds of paranoid shit comes out of my brain. Yikes. And I have to talk myself out of it because it's I, I get so anxious. And um, yeah, for a while, I, there was a period of time where I was consuming a ton of caffeine um, to kind of finish up my PhD. And I was like, oh, it doesn't affect me. I can drink it late at night and it's no problem. Well, I was having these anxious, paranoid thoughts and delusions and nightmares. And it was from the caffeine. And I, I had to listen to the advice of people who were saying, stop drinking caffeine at like, you know, 2 p.m. <laughs> to yeah. have your last cup at like in the afternoon sometime. Right. Let it wear down and you'll sleep a lot better. And I finally did that. And I'm really glad. Now I now I have a, a hard stop at 2 p.m. And then you switched to like herbal tea. I sl- switched to herbal tea yeah, yeah, sure. or, or water or seltzer. And um, I feel like I'm a lot healthier and better for it. Um, I've never gotten into coffee. I hate the smell of coffee. I hate the taste of coffee. Yeah, I don't like mocha ice cream, anything you. like that. Um, I just never got into it. Um, I think that was one of the reasons I had to drop out of med school, no lie, because I couldn't stand the thought of having to drink coffee. It's coffee culture, yeah. <laughs> uh, that is coffee culture to the max. And yeah, I, that leads into the last part of the question. I do think it points to an overstressed society. For example, it's not just work. It's not just like people doing jobs or shift work. Every mother I know says that she would have never made it through her kid's young childhood without copious amounts of coffee. Right. And it's all coffee, too, because coffee's stronger. And I think that says something, too, that women, even mothers, you know, who aren't necessarily working in the corporate world, are having to rely on this this drug to get through the day. It's like wait a minute, you know, like, don't we have, don't we have options for life for people who you know, like to get through life and be without happy needing without yeah. needing it? You know, sure. It makes you really pause and step back and think about that. So I, I agree with you both about that. It's um, it points to an overworked society. And I think that, you know, 
stimulants in general, like you know, the prevalence of college kids like snorting Adderall to study for a test and modafinil, you know, the drug that's supposed to be nootropic that lets you focus and do shift work. Um, the prevalence of those kinds of stimulants, it, it also points to the same kinds of social problems. So I really do think that we can all benefit from just taking a step back slowing down, being mindful sometimes. Sure. And that means being mindful about things like caffeine consumption, but also what situations are we putting ourselves in in life that are causing us to seek out so much caffeine? Right. Could we be saying no to more things? Could we be um, guarding our time a little bit better so we're not so overcommitted and we're not feeling the need to put that stress upon our own bodies and push ourselves to the absolute limit? Yeah, sure. Yeah, all valid. Yeah, you're right. It is like pushing it to the limit sometimes. But Take it to the limit. <laughs> <laughs> to go back to what you said originally about uh, making tea as like a ritual, mm-hmm. um, I think that's, you know, that's something that I do every morning too. Like I will put the tea kettle on and mm-hmm. brew a cup of Earl Grey and it's... Uh, you know, it's a nice way to wake up. Like, yeah. it's a slow start to Channeling the day. Channeling Captain and, Picard. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Don't you wish you... If you had a replicator, would you like that? Or do you like actually making your own tea? Well, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I do like making the tea. But at the same time, like, if I could just have it instantly in the morning, uh, there are some days where I might do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. All right. Um, you but, got another question? I, I do have another question. Ellen, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, like, the ritual uh, is a comforting thing. you know. Yeah, yeah, the ritual can be helpful, especially in mm-hmm. the morning, because it can get your day started totally, and can get yeah. you on the right foot, you know, as long as you yeah. get to do your ritual. And I think we all kind of experience this in certain ways when we're traveling or something. And we wait. I mean, as nice as hotel rooms can be, when your morning ritual isn't there, it does kind of fuck things up a bit. So... Yeah, sure. you're like, what do I do with myself? Right, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm so tired, I don't want to do anything, but at the same time, I'm also awake, and I feel yeah. like I need to do something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and the ritual can even be kind of meditative, which is a great way to start the day, too. So, yeah. Um, okay, so I do have another question, but how many more questions do you have, Ellen? Um, well, I mean, I have a list of them, but we don't have to go through all of them. Okay, so we're at two, we're, we're at two and a half hours. Stephanie, how many more did you have? I have three more questions. Three more? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, let's go with another Stephanie and another Ellen. We'll do Stephanie first, and and then are we good to keep going? Just for a few more. Oh minutes? yeah, I'm yeah. good to I'm good to okay. do all my questions actually. All right, go, go, okay go for you. yours. Okay. Go for yours. <laughs> okay. So here's a here's a serious question. Uh, this might spark a lot of discussion. Do you believe that people have masculine and feminine energies within them, regardless regardless of <laughs> biological sex or gender expression? Could you put percentages or strengths on your own masculine or feminine energies? Or do you reject the masculine-feminine binary entirely? Is there a such thing as a gender-neutral or genderless energy? <laughs> These are like 10 questions. I know. Oh my my questions are elaborate. I, I understand. It's that, really yeah. elaborate. And I think it would take a whole like psychological analysis. And I'd have to like go through and write a paper about this. <laughs> Well, okay, let's just take the first part. Does does this idea resonate with you? Have you heard this before that, oh, everybody, regardless of their sex or gender, has masculine and feminine energies within them? Have you heard this before? And if yeah. so, does it resonate yeah, with you? It. Yeah, I don't know that it resonates. Okay. Um, uh, I, 
Yeah. Yeah. Ellen, you're, you're spot on. And like, this is really broad. I mean, like, this is a huge conversation mm-hmm. to, you know, to have. Um, Wasn't that the point? Conversation? Discussion? <laughs> yes. yeah. It's just so much. It's like, uh, first we have to define like masculine and feminine. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, what does that actually mean, right? right. <laughs> and there are like traits of people that have been traditionally called masculine or traditionally feminine. Like feminine is soft and uh, masculine is like hard and strong. And like feminine is like passive. Masculine is active. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or, you know, um, like really colorful, like bright colors are considered feminine and masculine yeah. is like the darker colors and uh, there's just like certain traits that are seen as masculine, like enjoying physical activities, right? Um, you know, like working out or uh, building things, like working with your hands. Um, but I don't know. I mean, like to, I guess to partially answer your question, I guess uh, there, I feel like I have many traits that are both masculine and feminine, mm-hmm. and uh. At certain times, they're stronger than at other times. You know, sometimes I feel really feminine and sometimes I feel really masculine. Like whenever I put on my steel-toed boots and hard hat, I feel really <laughs> masculine. But like, why is that? I mean, is that even a masculine thing? Right. Or, Was that nurture or nature? Like, Yeah. Why? Yeah. That's what comes up for me. But Oh, and, and I mean, like sometimes there are things that are just androgynous that don't really have a gender assigned to them. And um I don't know. I mean, like, it just goes down this whole list of, like, do we do we even know what masculine and feminine is? And, like, yeah, I can see how, like, some of these stereotypes have arisen over time. Like, yeah, men are a little more aggressive and they're larger and women are more passive and a little bit smaller. But um, I don't know. I think there's a little bit of both in everyone. I Yeah, I guess I'm... I meant it in more of a like Eastern spirituality or new age kind of sense. Like if you've ever heard this idea like in yoga or like of the idea of like yin and yang, like yin is the masculine and yang is the feminine. Um, and it it's not really like, like Ellen, you were saying bright colors are associated with feminine. I think that's only in our culture. I think actually in the Eastern sense, they would say like bright colors are more masculine, like because the sun is masculine Oh, and like dark colors are associated with like the night and that's feminine in their, in their sense or their tradition. Or like maybe with birds, males always have the bright colorful feathers right. and females are a little more drab. Yep. Yeah, I I just feel like it's all it's really a a false paradigm mm-hmm. and like a false duality. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's so much wrapped in it, whether it's Eastern or conventional Western ideas or whatever. Like uh, n- no, like because I, I <laughs> you know there's I think there's if if I were to create if I were to like think of a paradigm like a dual paradigm that I think actually exists, it'd be authoritarian versus empathetic you know, and that's really the paradigm. And like, none of that, you know, makes much in the way of claims of like, well, it doesn't make as many claims as I think Eastern or Western concepts of these ideas, you know, would lay or of masculine and feminine would lay out. Uh, it, it just, yeah, because like there's things that I think are actually very, you know, if I, if I were to buy into kind of the biological, you know, woman and biological man, there's things that I think actually are far more like, uh, well, for sexuality, 
you know, and actually, I mean, there's, there's evidence to support this, that women are actually far more, uh, uh, sexual, you know, like than than men are, even though people would say, no, it's, it's kind of the opposite. I would, I would disagree, you know, in, in that sense. But then also at the same time, I think that that's bullshit, you know, like I think everybody can be just as sexual, uh, and there's a lot of nurture, not nature that just holds people down from that sort of thing. So it's all, it's yeah. all there, it, there's, it just, it all feels like a lot of false paradigms. So I guess maybe that's even my ultimate answer mm -hmm. to all of those questions. So you reject the mm -hmm. binary, Brian. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because Brian's so a hard. binary rejector. Yeah. <laughs> right. I it, mean, it's really hard to answer these questions. Yeah. Like masculine and feminine are kind of limiting ideas. Right. Because yeah. like well, in my friends, you, you know, like I look for similar traits, not opposite traits to, to what I have. And, you know, most of my friends have been women. So, but no one I think would call me feminine either in the East or the West. So, you know, it just doesn't make any sense, you know, in, in my book, but anyway, go ahead. Well, uh, I first heard this idea in a, in a satanic yoga class. No, that wasn't the first time <laughs> I, I first heard this idea in yoga and, at first, I was like, oh, come on, that's such bullshit. I, like, I reacted a lot like you guys did. But then over time, like, it, it actually started to make a lot of sense to me. Because, number one, it is kind of subversive because it's saying that, like, you know, what's on the outside, you know, that the world perceives as our gender and treats us a certain way is not necessarily reflective of what's on the inside. You could have all kinds of different gender expression inside you, and uh, the world wouldn't necessarily be able to pick up on it. And um, yes, I agree that the masculine-feminine binary is, in in a lot of ways, kind of limiting. But it, for a ancient cultures that were trying to convey these ideas, which are actually downright revolutionary, um, that was what they had in front of them. That was an obvious dichotomy that people understood because they saw men and women in society. And I really think it's more of like not even about gender, but it's more of a metaphor for like balancing things, like for having your life in balance, because it's a duality. It's, it's a duality that of, of things that complement each other or things that kind of balance out, right? Night, you have night and day, you have active and passive, you have muscle and bone, you have, you know, like, it's, I think it's a metaphor for just basically having a balanced life and realizing that there's elements of everything and everybody and that we're all a lot more similar than we think we are even though we may look different you know so it's like balancing the willful and the creative spirits kind of yeah thing. exactly things like that exactly and um yeah i mean as far as gender expression i guess i've always felt like i was a little bit more masculine than um other women that i knew but then again, I also feel like I have a lot of femininity in me as well. So I feel like if I had to put percentages on it, I would say they're both kind of strong within me. But I try to maintain balance in all areas, including of like of all those elements that might be described as masculine or feminine in Eastern tradition. Yeah, I'll just say quick. I mean, duality, like this, this kind of concept, I mean, and duality can mean a lot of other things, too. But that worms its way into a lot of different philosophies and ideologies and religions mm -hmm. and everything else all over the world. Um, I think it's, it's kind of a dangerous, it can be a dangerous concept if you like stick to it very rigidly because there's never, it's never just two. like even the concept of night and day, we know now 
well, this is not really night and day. I mean, the earth is spinning around the sun, you know, like, like these, these things are, I mean. Sure. To, well, to, I mean, it's like kind of a spectrum, I guess, yeah. between night and day, right? You gradient. have sunset. And, yeah. 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 I, understanding is a three-edged sword. I'm going to say that. <laughs> okay. And there's always a third way. And so, yeah, duality you know, it's like choosing left hand or right hand path. And it's like, eh, that's, I mean, I'll choose the left, but like, there's, there's no, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of bullshit. But so yeah, duality is just a, it, it's a funny thing that that works its way. I, I don't, I don't always like hearing that there's only two options for anything, you know? Uh, sure. I, I, there's always a third way and that's the way we've always, I think humanity has always moved forward if somebody finally thought of the third way, uh, whatever that ends up being. So Anyway, there you go. That's what I got. Um, Ellen, do you want to do one more and then we'll wrap it up? Uh, you want me to ask another one question? One more question, yeah. <clears throat> okay. Um, well, I guess this one's going to be a little bit more fun. Um, okay. But this is like a meditative practice that I've been using recently to help me, um, well, I guess stay focused. Uh, but I, I've been trying to imagine like what what is my idea of paradise? And I guess I want to know Ooh. that for, for both of you as well. Wow. What is my idea of paradise? Um, a wooded home that is that I own and I don't have to pay any taxes on. That's... Yeah. <laughs> How thorough of you. Yeah. <laughs> um, where I can grow things in the yard and it's free of pollution. And um, I, it, it has a lot of solitude, but I can invite over friends who I feel comfortable with and have my life partner living with me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just generally kind of make what my idea of a happy life for myself is there. Yeah, I think yeah, that's very Walden. I would, I think waterfalls would be involved, like water, brooks, a stream, some kind. What part of the world? New Hampshire. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Okay. And I say that because it's a very concrete view of paradise. Like it can be attained. Mm -hmm. Sure. Right. This isn't like fantastical. Like I'm not going to answer with space station. Yeah. We're right. already <laughs> very close to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I could answer with that, I suppose. But like, what's my view of paradise? Yeah. One that you could live. One that I could live. Wow. Um, yeah, I, uh, strangely, or not so strangely, I suppose, it, it would be pretty similar to Stephanie's. Like, paradise certainly isn't a city to me. Mm. Like, not at all. Yeah. Like, the yeah, idea the of waking up to anything other than something relatively woodsy is, mm. is like, no way. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not interested in, in any other way. Um, oh, man. This is, yeah, what, wow, I'm sorry. <laughs> this, this shouldn't be so flat foot for me because I do know what I want in life. But I think for me, paradise, I guess there might be a difference here because it's not so much a place for me. Like, I don't think of it as a place. I think of it as like a feeling around me paradise mm -hmm. yeah is dependent more upon the people around me yeah than it is the place than it is the so much the environment um but i think the environment like f feeling like wanting to be in the woods and things like this and not in the city comes with like a certain sense of safety that i can also feel for the people that i want around me um 
So yeah, par- paradise for me could kind of be anywhere. I mean, I've, I've been around the world pretty good. You know, there's uh hell, I could think of a couple of Greek islands. They're pretty fucking awesome. Um, yeah. that I wouldn't mind, you know, living on, uh, you know, in a <laughs> villa like that, that could be really, really nice. Um, and, but then at, at, you know, at the same time I could be in paradise, you know, hanging out with, uh, you know, people in Yellowknife in the Northwest territory. I can enjoy that. It's, it's more about, it's more about the people that I'm with. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I have like, I, and I've talked about this on a Patreon episode and I'll, I'll wrap, I'll be quick with this cause I know we're running long. Um, like I kind of, I, I see myself as I have this overall philosophy kind of of seeing myself as a traveler. I think everybody's a traveler actually, because in the universe, yeah, we're traveling around on spaceship earth, you know, like it's just this ball. And so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think so much about, I love New Hampshire. New Hampshire is beautiful. One of the most beautiful places on the earth, if not the most, you know? Uh, but yeah, at the same time, I guess my answer is dependent more upon the people who are around me and not so much, uh, the place, but, um, yeah, I'll take New Hampshire, Antarctica, or, you know, one of those Greek isles. I'm, I'm good for, good for one of That's those. That's actually three. really similar to one of the other questions I had. Do you guys mm-hmm. want to hear it? Uh, yeah. well, I, I want to hear, yeah, yeah, I want to hear Ellen's paradise. Yeah. Hear Ellen's paradise too. Oh, okay. Um, well, your answer is really interesting because it's like several different extremes, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> like the Greek islands or Antarctica. <laughs> right. <Wow. laughs> like, That's me. Either super freezing cold or a uh, nice Greek isle. <laughs> 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 um, well, actually, like I, I really love like warm beaches and I also love forests and being out in nature. So like New Hampshire has both of those things. Yeah. It's got like the forests and the rivers and the mountains that are like so beautiful and you can just get lost in them and like find yourself in the middle of no, like there's nobody around for like miles and miles because you're just in the middle of woods. Um, And that is like really comforting and also like, it just it's so there's something about like the fertility of, of forests yeah. that mm-hmm. is really um like just awe-inspiring to me and same thing with the ocean too yeah. like it's just full of life and like all sorts of things to be explored and discovered and and i mean that's kind of like the driving force for me in life so that would be my paradise is to like be in a place where i could just like go out and explore and not have to deal with the city of or like cars driving by and people and pollution and um paying taxes <laughs> another one not yeah. feeling rushed uh not having any dunkin donuts around <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> that's the thing like if there weren't books like if information wasn't so easily accessible the ability to learn wasn't wasn't so easily accessible i don't know if i could sit anywhere because like i've I have to know more every single day. Like mm-hmm. I've just got to know oh, and, yeah. and, and I can't, and it's a drive. I can't explain. I've talked about it before on the show. I, I just can't, I, I just have to, but if I'm surrounded by books and have easy access to information, I mean, yeah, you know, being in Henry David Thoreau's Walden is fine with me. Like, and then of course there's so much nature around to continually explore anyway. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so. I, I didn't mention this, but it would have a good internet connection and books. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Otherwise I think it would get boring really fast. Yeah, without books, yeah. it would all be, there's a, there is no paradise mm-hmm. without books in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. So. But I also wanted to touch on what you said, Brian was like the people are very, very important too, because mm-hmm. like, all of these uh, 
there are like so many things in human life that just aren't satisfying unless you have another person to share it with. Absolutely. So it's uh, all bullshit if we're not sharing it. Yeah. yeah like that's what makes magic real. <laughs> it's yeah. like having another person to be there and we're a you social know, species. All I these mean, things with. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So Stephanie, like what was your, you, you said you had a, or did you have more? I'm sorry, Alan. Oh, I just like, if I could watch the sunset on a beach, like I'd be totally happy. Hell yeah. Like dangle my feet in the water. Yeah. Hell yeah. The only thing is it's nice if the house is a little bit away because otherwise all that sand just like blows into your oh, living room sure. no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> Can't keep it out. Well, I've I mean, been on, might as well have the floor of your house. I've sand. been on Ormond Beach before and oh man, that is a pain in the ass. Anyway, <laughs> it's very scratchy. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. So Mike, one of the questions I had was, would you live alone on a deserted island with no phone or internet service for a year? If you could have all of your food and shelter needs provided for, but you could have no communication with other people during that time. You can have pets, animals, but no human contact for a year. Wait, why would we do that? Uh, just a hypo- just a lifeboat scenario. Well, that kind of answers the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, what's the point? <laughs> um, I would, like, I love the idea of being put in a human zoo. Mm-hmm. But not without other people. <laughs> right. You yeah. Know, like, yeah. No. <laughs> I think it'd go a little crazy. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no. <laughs> I guess the question is just testing, like, how introverted actually are you? <laughs> oh, I mean, I could survive. Right. But, like, if sure. it's a Would question, you choose to, am I though? going to choose that? Yeah. No. 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 Uh, it's like, like that Castaway movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. like Wilson. Castaway. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, I'm introverted, but like also my introvertedness like wants a sense of safety and that comes with feeling love, mm. you know, by people around me as well. Like mm. I mean that's a, that that's that's a part that's part of the complexities of being an introvert that people don't grasp. Mm. You still you want know? companionship. Yeah, and the thing is is like introverts can talk forever and can be i i mean i'm as introverted as they come i really am i can talk for like if it's the right people though if i'm actually interested in what's being talked about i will talk until you know till the sun passes a few times i mean like it's yeah that's kind of a weird dichotomy in itself Mm. uh but anyway so ellen do you have anything else to say on that no i mean that's that's pretty much it like i wouldn't want to be alone for that long i think i would go crazy like I I already have a hard time like not having friends close by when I I really need them. So like yeah. if I were living alone for a year, there's no way I could do it. Yeah. Sure. I, I mean like I, I if there's another person there, we could certainly do it. And like yeah, I don't have any doubts about like being able to survive and find food and build shelter. Like we're crafty, but <laughs> like yeah. I just it would be miserable. Mhm. Stephanie yeah, I would I would word. also say no. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I would consider it very seriously, especially like, you know, I, I feel most of the time like I have so many great people to connect with and I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Um, And it would if it would only be a year, I might I might really consider it. I think it would be a personal growth challenge and experience, Oof. you know. Um, and I'd be more likely to do it if I had some serious trauma I was healing from or something like that. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think right now if somebody said, okay, tomorrow, you know, I would say no. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I would say like if it was a month, yes, I would do that. Mm. Right. But a year is far too long. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, all right. 
This is, this has officially been the longest episode of Sovereign Tech Oh my ever. God. Woo, we set a record. We always yeah. go long. And hey, it's, you know, my birthday episode. What the hell? Like, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. all right. <laughs> so um, anyway, does anybody else, anybody else had anything else they wanted to say? No. No, that's it. Okay. Happy birthday. Yes. That's it. Happy birthday, Thank Brian. You. Thank you. So, all right. Well, uh, yeah. Anyway, thank let's you, ladies. Let's play some video games. <laughs> yeah, let's go play some video games. Let's let's, let's rock it out. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you so much, ladies. Of course, as always, for being on. Um, I have like just infinitely found Sovereign Tech far more. F- I mean, it's always fun to do, but far more fun now that I have co-hosts and you know now this is a regular thing. It just I I look forward to it every month. It's my favorite time. Mine so, too. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is so fun to do. Yeah. So, okay. Any, all right, everybody. If you, uh, of course, want to support the show, go to Patreon, uh, SovereignTech.com. That'll hook you right up with the Patreon page. Literally hundreds, if not thousands of hours of exclusive content, new content coming out every week, uh, including some stuff we teased at the beginning of this episode that I am going to make a reality. I'm going to make sure it's a reality. Uh, we're going to have some fun with this, doing dramatic readings of uh, my own short fiction. We'll see how well it actually works when it's spoken and not just read. But uh, anyway, all right, that's enough for this week. Uh, I will see all of you on the other side. Woo! Woo! (laughs) (laughs) You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution.